The following program is a proud member of the Palaver family of podcasts. Check out all the shows over at palaver.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the GGTMC. I'm I'm curious. I, I thought I picked the right intro there, but I didn't hear my roast beef comment, so I don't know what the hell happened there. Oh well. <coughs> roast beef is always at the tip of our tongues, uh, literally and figuratively. Apologies for those who look forward to the roast beef comments. Yes. <laughs> All right, so we are back, and uh, this week we have uh, some good stuff to talk about. I think uh, we have so sweet, so dead. Uh, Camera, uh, cam- oh man, I'm a, a mouthful of marbles. Here we go. Camera Obscura release, uh, uh, Giallo, from 1972, I think? Yes, sir. Uh, nice, nice, nice. Good guess. And, of course, I didn't write down where uh, Black Tavern, the uh, Shaw Brother film, is uh, what year it's from. Would, uh, let me guess, 75? No. Ouch. Uh, it, surprisingly, and I think this only happened very recently on our show, uh, it's also some, from 72, so wow. both films uh, came out the same year. We've done it like three times lately. I don't know how, and it's never intentional. And it's it, very strange. Yeah, and it never happened for like the first hundred and some episodes, I think. <laughs> I, know, I know. It's pretty crazy. But uh, that is what we are covering. Um, we got some good stuff to talk about. I, I, I think we got some good stuff to talk about in these two films, so we'll see. I would certainly agree with that. Mm-hmm. So, outside of that, and you having a little uh, little breakfast and me having a little coffee, what have you been watching, Large William? I have been watching all the Fruit Loops disappear in my bowl. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> um, this week I slowed down a bit. I know I've been kind of powering through a lot of stuff, but I did slow down. Um, first up, uh, where is it? Okay. <laughs> so first up I watched, uh, you know, I'm a big Fernando DeLeo fan, as you are. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are. Uh, I you know there's still probably a handful of his films I haven't seen, so I'm trying to track those down or, or watch them because I do have most of them. Um, yes, including a World War II one he did, which is pretty politically charged. I think called Red Roses for the Fuhrer. Yes, which I think we've talked about before off the air. Um, but anyway, this one, in fact, we did talk. You and I talked about this one because we talked about Little Joe in regards to this film, and Little Joe, of course, refers to Joe D'Alessandro's uh, member. Um, <laughs> it was one he did called Madness, which is kind of a Last House on the Left uh, type film. It's pretty sleazy, re- you know, pretty sleazy. A lot of nudity and a lot of bush, and you know, the surprising thing in it is that D'Alessandro keeps his cock in his pants. Um, it's it, it's not bad, you know. Minor Deleo is still solid like six six and a half territory yeah so you know yeah those uh, of you those of you familiar with d'alessandro you'll know that the joke is is is, is partially true he tends to to get the member out quite often 
Oh yeah, that's kind of how he rose to fame with uh, Warhol and uh, everything. You know, being in their films and or his films and his art, and uh, you know, a lot of nude photography and stuff. So um, yeah, but no, it, you know, and I'd said it was kind of sad how Italian genre film. You can kind of see the money being less and less as you mm-hmm. get closer to the eighties and into the eighties, and you know. But uh, anyway, it was serviceable certainly. Yes. Um, then I watched uh, Confessions with the Wife. She really wanted to see it, and I have to say, I've been very proud of her lately. That there's some kind of cool stuff she's been uh, she's been wanting to uh, shoot for, and I think I'm going to wrangle her into the Korea, South Korean film The Chaser next. I just picked it up on DVD on the cheap from uh, iStore Cinema. Uh-huh. So um, anyway, Confessions, you know, it held up exactly where I wanted it to, where I thought it was. You know, sometimes I worry that, and and it is the case sometimes, admittedly, when you see a film for the first time, your score can sometimes be more based in emotion than it can in um, an objective kind of uh, rating. But, you know, film art is about emotion, I think, and how it moves you. So, no, it held up. My wife dug it. Now my mother-in-law wants to watch it. So it's, uh, she's got it now. So, yeah, there you go. Next up, I watched a film that, uh, and I, I, I can say this without hyperbole now that I have someone to back me up. Um, we often talk about Pantheon films here, and we talk about them, you know, with with almost in hushed tones, uh, the barometer for batshit, insane, balls to the wall action movies is The Stabilizer. And uh, I've seen one that I think, an American one no less, that I think can, can absolutely run with The Stabilizer. Um, and it's a, a Sean Donahue film called Parole Violators. <laughs> uh, this film is incredible. I, I highly implore everyone to, to seek it out. It will be on the show soon. Um, it's, nice. it's just insane. It, it combines the partial ineptitude with the go get him spirit and um, pedal to the metal insanity of Stabilizer. So it's it's fucking aces, man. I'm down. Um, I'm down for that. I like it when we we watch a movie that we you know we know about and stuff, but it's not on our roadmap or anything like that. But we watch it, and it's like, oh fuck, this is going on. This is coming up the queue quick. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, exactly, man. Top of the pops. Um, next up, I watched Allegro Allegro non troppo, which is an Italian film. It's in short, um, an adult. And I don't mean porn, but an adult in terms of theme uh, version of uh, Fantasia. Partially works, partially doesn't. I was a little bit disappointed. This was a Danny Perry film guide reference, uh, a film guide uh, pickup for me. You know, it was okay. I thought it could have been better. Um, next up, I watched, uh, if I had to summarize this film, I would say it's the, if um, oh, if Jackass 3D, um, Gummo, and what was the other film I was going to say? It's so early in the morning, I've had no sleep. If ja- Okay, let's just say if Jackass 3D... And Gummo had a neo-realist Swedish cousin. Uh, that would be the film I watched, which is uh, <laughs> a quasi-documentary called "The Guitar Mongoloid." <laughs> what the hell? I mean, yeah, it's from it's from Sweden. It's got it features a bunch of uh, vignettes, much in the way Gummo did. Uh, um, that almost seems real, um, but it's not. But there's there's some pretty good bits in it. It's it's definitely worth a watch. It's about eighty minutes long. Uh, you certainly won't then, forget that title. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it's it's a pretty great title. Uh, um, then we rewatched the final of the Red Riding trilogy on Blu-ray again, uh, 1984, mm-hmm. 1983, I should say. I got to say, man, I really, really dug this one a lot more this time. I got behind the redemption of some of the characters right. that are featured significantly more. I think the last time I was saying to Uncool Cat, I had watched um, all three back to back to back. Mm-hmm. 
and just a little bit cooked by the end. But I really enjoyed this third one a lot more this time yeah. than I anticipated. So great stuff. Again, you had told me, and then I'll tell everyone on the show, that listens to our show. You know, I think the Blu-rays, all three plus a disc of special features for fifteen bucks or something on Amazon. It's well worth the uh, dollars. Yeah. No. Um, then the last one I watched was uh, a Canadian film. I uh, went out and I saw um, Hobo with a Shotgun. Yeah. yeah, I saw that. I saw that come up. I was like, I was like, I'm going to watch that this weekend. I know I'm going to watch that. Of course, it never worked out. You know, shambles as it some as anybody with kids knows, your plans tend to go out the window. <laughs> yeah, shambles. They they become shambles faster than you can imagine. Oh yeah, faster than Chuck Yeager in a jet. <laughs> yeah, no, but this film was was great, man. I mean, I'm not gonna say it's, you know, it's it's the top ten of the year for me. It's it's absolutely not. But you know, it's like a seven, seven point two five. It's a lot of fun. It never lets off the gas. It's really gory. It, it's and I mean this in the best way possible because I hate trauma. But it's almost like a better uh, version of a trauma film. Yeah. You know, you know, like Neville Dean and Taylor. You know, even though I've, I'm gonna get a little bit critical of them, it's kind of got that energy that, and it's got some really nasty stuff. You know, almost <laughs> to the point where it, it gets a little bit tryhard and dumb in spots. But you know, I can't pick and choose um, when things are dumb that I enjoy versus not enjoy. You know, understood, understood. There's some great Canadian Easter eggs in it. I would just say, you know, we all need to support good film and listen. I understand we can't go and see everything in the theaters. I, I get it. You know. You'll, you and I be the first ones to say that because oh, yeah. with kids we can't. You know, we, we pursue films in other mean, by other means, certainly. But the films that we love and the filmmakers we love, we really have to get out there and support either through VOD or through theater or through you know buying the movies or festivals. So, and this for me was one of those. I felt like this was a film that was financed in Canada, um, made by Canadians, uh, almost exclusively with Canadians. So, yeah, it was it was solid, man. It, it felt like. Um, Sort of like the you know Canadian, really Canadian version of Punisher Warzone. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I watched the uh, first uh, two or three minutes of it. Uh, reminded me, it looked like uh, what it reminded me of right off the bat is like Spike Lee making an exploitation film because this is the harsh, and I say harsh in a in a nice way, the harsh saturation of color. Oh, big time, man, big time. Yeah. So you remember that when Spike Lee was going through that phase with that stuff, where he was yeah. kind of oversaturating the color in his films. Oh yeah, and uh, that's what it kind of reminded me of. And I just only remember, well, I mean, vividly, I can remember now, just a few days ago when I watched the the harshness of that uh, railroad car that <laughs> Howard was in at the beginning, and of course the uh, nice music at the beginning, which is a nice, nice Easter egg. So very much so. And uh, yeah, you're right, man. It's got like this queasy, oily kind of neon feel to it. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's an interesting approach. I mean, uh, it reminds me of something like Street Trash a little bit, something like that, you know, something where, you know, you take color and it can make, you, you can kind of set people off with a tone. So, I don't you know. You said it. You I said it. Street Trash is very apt. I can't, I can't wait to see it. I know uh, Stefan loved it quite a bit. And, uh, he did. Vish did. Uh, Phil Phil uh, from Cirque, you said it's his favorite of the year so far. So, it's certainly not that for me, but... Yeah. I mean, it, it's you can do a lot worse uh, than something that, that really, it, it, it doesn't pull any punches. I mean, you know, girl prostitutes are, are you know, chastised by, by just like dirty cops saying that they sell their holes. And <laughs> it, it's just, it, you know, it's really yes. fucking yeah. so <laughs> nasty. It could be a little bit more Canadian. Say, quit, you, you chicks quit selling your Tim Hortons. 
Well, yeah, well, I'll tell you, you're going to laugh because I was howling when whenever a character would get really angry in the film. Yeah. They were they sounded so Canadian, so East Coast Canadian. Like I even said to Chris, because the main bad guy in it, the Drake is his name. He he wears a white suit, of course. Yes. I said, man, more films need um, scenery chewing uh, East Coast Canadians. Yes. It's just so entertaining to see him get wound up and, and his accent. And it's it's quite fantastic. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I'm looking That's forward it. to it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to watch it uh, soon. Sooner rather okay. than later. I've, of course, you know, I've been trying to get 13 Assassins in and that in, and they're both on VOD down here, and I've been trying to... That is everything you watched then? That's everything? Uh, that is it. That is all. Okay. Nice. All right. I only watched a few things... Uh, and started something I didn't get finished, but uh, that's because I had to get some sleep before we did the show. Doing the morning show, I'm still not used to uh, doing the mornings and stuff and not having enough time to squeeze some things in. But I was going to stay up last night and watch something and finish something off, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, I only watched, uh, everything I watched was pretty much documentary except one thing. I watched a little HBO documentary called uh, The Running Rebels of UNLV, which was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, you know, the Tark, the Tark the Shark and uh, yeah. the team there and stuff. Watching Jerry Tarkanian chew on wet towels. Did it show? Did it show the shot of him in the uh, hot tub with Ogman and Larry Johnson? <laughs> no, they didn't show that one. They did show a scene of, of some people in a hot tub, though. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. You know, it, I just love that. You know, there's this coach that ever existed, this sleepy-eyed looking guy, and uh, you know, they would chew on these t- wet towels. It's such a weird little personal touch for a person, you know, to have. You know, it just reminds me of something like a child would do. Uh, I don't understand it. <laughs> anyway. Uh, it was it was good. It was good. It wasn't you know it wasn't great, but it was good. Uh, I watched uh, two more of the uh, WWE documentaries. I watched Twist of Fate. This is the Matt and Jeff Hardy story, from the Hardy Boys, uh, or Hardy Brothers, or whatever you want to call them. Uh, it was good. Uh, it was nice and interesting. It's always interesting to watch these guys that you know knew they wanted to be wrestlers, like from the moment they started watching it when they were kids, and somehow they just you know they made it. They made it their life. And the cool thing about this one is is that. At one point in time, Matt and Jeff Hardy, they had this, they, they grew up kind of poor in uh, North Carolina. And uh, they had this trampoline. And they would build, the, they built this ring around this trampoline. And they did all their wrestling with their friends around this trampoline. They built their own ramps and they ran their own little promotion out of their backyard. And oh, it was, nice. it was pretty cool. But at the same time, if you ever watch somebody wrestle on a trampoline, talk about something that can be dangerous. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, they're doing all these moves. They're doing all these moves you see wrestlers do, but they're doing it on a trampoline. So there's a lot of body bouncing <laughs> and inadvertently running into each other. And, uh, you know, because for those of you who ever been on a trampoline, you know what I mean. I mean, you can lose control pretty quickly. So Yeah, I've fallen off a trampoline onto my head. Yes, yes. It can be very dangerous, too, if you're not careful. Yes. Um, but it was good. It was it was uh, nice and interesting. It was a little... It got a little weird with the Jeff Hardy stuff. Jeff Hardy's an interesting, kind of eccentric kind of dude. I didn't know he was kind of as, as eccentric as he is, but anyway. In, in what sense? With his uh, uh, he just tastes, no, <laughs> no, but uh, more like you know, you know, he, he's kind of an artist kind of guy. He likes to draw and he likes to paint and he likes to make music and stuff. And his music is really odd. And uh, you know, he does motocross and stuff. But he's just he's just an eccentric kind of guy. He just kind of got his own opinion about things. He's you know, he's very opinionated and just an interesting guy. And and they're actually blood brothers, right? Yes, yes, they're actually oh, brothers. Cool. They're actually it's cool brothers. they could come up together, man. That's you know how often does that get to happen? Yeah, I know. It's it's um, you know, and they're very talented wrestlers. I don't know. Were you watching wrestling back when they came out? Uh, when I were... was. It was when WWE was kind of on the on the you know uh, sliding down their ass because of uh, NWO and everything with WCW. But mm-hmm. I, I I think the last time I I really watched wrestling um, 
kind of passionately was when Rock fought Hogan at one of the WrestleManias. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. And then when, when of course, Hogan lost, I said, I'm done with this fucking sport. <laughs> <laughs> wrestling can bring out the passion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, speaking of that, that's a nice segue, because I did I watch the documentary, uh, The True Story of WrestleMania. Oh, nice. And they were talking about that, and they were talking about that match and, and some other great matches and stuff. Now... Some of these wrestling documentaries you asked me, I think a week ago or maybe two weeks ago, if some of them are geared toward, you know, making the WWE look great, you know, because they're made by the WWE, some of them, and, or most of them. Mm-hmm. This one really is, but it's not to a fault. It's, it's actually, it's kind of a celebration of how much fun wrestling can be, uh, regardless of what you actually think of the sport. I know some people hate it. Uh, you know, some people even hate the fact that, just, that we just called it a sport instead of sports entertainment. But either way... Uh, you know, it's kind of a nice celebration of, uh, you know, the fun of wrestling, which is, whether you like it or not, is, is you know, for some people, it, it's it's a lot of fun. And WrestleMania is always a reminder of how much glamour, glitz, and craziness, and just how much just insanity that Vince McMahon will throw. Actually, I should say not just insanity, but money he'll throw at an event. And, uh, you know, WrestleMania is just crazy, you know. And it's funny because I said on uh, Facebook that I've been watching all these, and it makes me really want to start watch wrestling, watching wrestling again. <laughs> I can imagine it kind of got the blood flowing. I, I, I have a feeling I'd react the same way. Yeah, but the problem is, of course, I don't. You know, I can't find a way to have time to watch wrestling every week. You know, I've already, I'm already squeezing in way too much, and my DVR is always full of stuff. So, oh yeah, you know, you know I just don't, that's all I need to try to find a way to squeeze wrestling into the whole thing too, or wrestling. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a reminder that you know I love it. It's it's, it's a good time. You know, it's 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 for me. It's you know it's comic book heroes and personalities. Uh, you know acting crazy in the ring so it's kind of fun and i started watching uh true legend do you want you want pink uh, film yes. but i didn't finish it off uh still got about 40 minutes to go so i don't want to say too much about it but i will say uh what i have watched is well so far this is what i have watched this is the best film i've seen this so far this year oh well i've been sitting on it on dvd <clears throat> this since is, it came out but uh this is the best so film i've seen this year but we're talking about we're, we're talking about a master filmmaker here <laughs> Who hasn't done yeah. anything, I think, since, like, uh, Iron Monkey 2, I think. I don't think he's actually directed a film since, like, late 90s. Yeah, maybe so, man. Maybe so. So, because, you know, he's been he's been in the, in the States doing all kinds of stuff over the last uh, 10 years or so. Oh, yeah. Supervising, uh, you know, fight choreography and stuff, yeah. So, he hasn't really directed films. So, this is a nice return to form uh, for him. Uh, him playing with CGI a lot. Which some are going to get turned off by, but uh, I had fun with it. I mean, I think it's pretty great and uh, some good acting in the film. Yeah, and I think Gordon Liu is in the film, man, but he's not in the credits. I don't, I didn't see him in the credits, but I think he's in the film. But maybe it's just my imagination because we got a Pame s character in the film, <laughs> and you know, I'm so used to Gordon <laughs> Gordon Liu doing the, you know, the from Kill Bill doing the uh, the ribbon of the mustache thing and the eyebrows and everything. But it really looked like him, and also the Jay Chow man. Uh, yeah, he's he's pretty wacky in this fucking film, man. <laughs> yeah, he's he's interesting. I think he's Taiwanese born. He's he's been pretty big. Uh, I think he got to start in pop music, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, he, it's he's pretty cool. Plays the uh, the uh, the god of wushu in this film. Uh, it, it's 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 uh you know I mean I haven't seen a lot of great films this year to be honest. And so no, I can't really, I can't say that this is like the best film of the year, but I can say it's the best film I've seen so far this year of the new films I watched. Probably not the best film I've seen so far this year, <laughs> as far as old films and things like that. But anyway, 
I'm going to finish that off and I'll come back and report back because I know I've, I've read about it. I know it changes tone about uh, about where I'm at. So should be interesting. Also, the uh, guy that plays the bad guy in the film, Andy O, he's, uh, he's pretty cool. I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything else. I can't think of anything else, but very cool. Uh, I may put my foot in my mouth. I can't recall either off yeah. the top of my head. But that's all I've watched. That's everything. So uh, I think we'll take a short break and come back. And which film do you want to talk about first here? Uh, let's talk about So Sweet, So Dead first. Okay. All right, we'll be back. We'll talk a little So Sweet, So Dead. Back right after this. Are you looking for a way to connect with people who like the things that you like? Whether it's music, movies, TV, or whatever you're into, head on over to the palaver.com forums. <clears throat> yes, but forums and message boards are elitist and archaic. Well, yeah, maybe if you're an asshole. Palaver.com is home to all your favorite podcasts. So why not head over there now? Start talking about all the things you want to talk about. That's palaver.com. P-A-L-A-V-R.com. All right, we were back. Nice. Hey, you sent me some music for this, uh, yeah, this week, and uh, I hadn't had a chance to listen. To it. I had to make the breaks this morning, of course, because I didn't plan well, so I didn't have a chance to listen to some of you. I like that. I like that tune quite a bit. It's a good one, man. It's uh, it's Nancy Sinatra. You know what that song? I kept listening to it. I think on the weekend it was, and it, it just reminds me of a song that. Um, that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson would use in one of his films for some reason. I don't know. Oh yeah, it does sound like that. It also kind of has a, a kind of a weird hobo with a shotgun type feel to it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was the knapsack comment. Yeah, uh, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> All right, so we are back, and uh, we're going to talk a little Giallo. We haven't talked about one, well, I guess, in a little while. I guess since uh, Giallo Alaventia or whatever. Oh yeah, Giallo Alaventia, which is kind of late in the cycle, and it it feels slashery in spots and. But, you know, I think we think of Jalos, we think of a certain time period, you know, late 60s to probably late 70s. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so this one is uh, So Sweet, So Dead, 1972, directed by Roberto Bianchi Montero. Oh, yes. I like the name Montero. Uh, let's see here. Plot synopsis of serial killers on the loose. His victims are unfaithful wives. And he always leaves compromising photographs at the crime scene. And that's pretty much <laughs> that's pretty much the, the synopsis they have here. Uh some familiar faces or slightly familiar faces in the film. Of course, Farley Granger's in the movie. Uh, so kind of maybe poignant to talk about this film a little bit. Whoa. I, I just was looking through the complete credits. The, the, the American, in the Eng- American version, Harry Reams shows up in this movie. <laughs> like, I guess there's an American re-edited version and Harry Reams is in it. I wonder, what, I wonder if that re-edited version is a little bit more sleazy. <laughs> and this one's pretty sleazy. Yeah, this one is pretty sleazy. This one's kind of notorious for being... Pretty sleazy, and uh, it reminded me of another one we've talked about before, so a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk about it. Okay. Uh, did you want to try to maybe say the Italian title for our Italian listeners? <laughs> <laughs> There's no way I could. Jesus. I mean, that is a hell of a title. <laughs> Dude, that was a mouthful for my wife. Yeah, that's a lot. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's insane. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten words long. Yes. So, anyway, yeah, we'll we'll move past that. So yeah, this is a camera obscure release. Um, the lads uh, that run Camera Obscure were kind enough to send me some films from their send us films from their catalog. Um, and uh, you know, first let's say that they come in beautiful packaging, and it's nice to see genre rich films treated with the love and respect they are um, like they were with their their films man I mean they're just beautifully put together and uh, with some great essays and some some solid special features on the discs yes so, yes I mean it's a uh, it's a nice package yeah definitely for sure. kind of you know for kind of like an obscure yellow I mean because I've known about this one I've never seen it before until this that we did it just now but uh, I've known about it but I mean you would think there's other yellows that would maybe get a real you know a um, little bit more fancy release than this one yeah, but this is one of those ones that I would have expected to see, like a VHS rip or something like oh, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I, I don't know if it's out um, through any other label, to be honest. So this is a Region 2 disc, but, uh, you know, if you see a price tag attached to those camera obscure discs, I'd say they're worth the money. They're, you know, like I said, they're really well put together. It's not just like a, a, a you know, a disc in a plastic case. You right, know, they're right. Really good looking stuff. Uh, yeah, so this has a lot of uh, familiar Jolly faces uh, or Italian uh, cinema faces in it. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> Yeah, so um, uh, Roberto Bianchi Montero, I don't know that I've seen anything off the top of his head. We may very well have. I know he's very much a workman Italian director who who kind of jumped into all the genres that were kind of popular uh, at the time when he was working. So Yeah, it looks like he's done know. all kinds of things, including such films as uh, Caligula's Hot Nights. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm does. sure Caligula had a lot of hot nights. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, with no names in it that I recognize, so that must be a you know soft core thing. Another one yeah. called Heat in the Suburbs. That's a great title. <laughs> These all sound very um, <laughs> Joe D'Amato, George Eastman written esque. <laughs> yes, they do. He worked all the way up to 1986. So, oh wow, yeah, yeah. I know this one, uh, and actually, I, I can't find it here. Um, oh, you know what? Here, I just saw this. You, speaking of Harry Reams. There was a re-edited uh, version released in the States called Penetration, and it had hardcore porno footage with Harry Reams and Tina Russell. Oh, there you go. It was advertised as a porno featuring uh, Farley Granger, but uh, there oh. was uh, <laughs> threats of a lawsuit, and it withdrew from uh, U.S. distribution, but not Europe. Well, I'd be interested to see that, cut. Yes. <laughs> no pun intended. <clears throat> but uh, Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because I saw this film was rated X when I was looking at something on my phone last night, and I thought, oh, X, wow. So, um, yeah, this film doesn't waste any time. Man. It's really fucking sleazy, which is good. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's fun to have a, a sleazy giallo to, to get into. I mean, literally, four seconds in, there's a naked, bloody body of a woman. And at first, I, I had to look at the runtime to make sure, like, I didn't start it at, like, the second <laughs> chapter of the film. Yeah, yeah, it pans from a lamp to a bloody body, naked, bloody body. That's, yeah, of a woman that looks a little bit like um, uh, Barbara Boucher. Yes, which is fitting because the, this film totally had a feel. It, it totally felt a little bit like uh, Black Belly the Tarantula in some ways. Yeah, I think because the um, how it really focuses on a police officer investigating a case with some, some marital problems. Yes, yes, infidelities and things like that, which, you know, it's not like it's an uncommon thing you run into in Giallo's, but uh, yeah. I mean, it, it totally had that feel. Yeah, no, that I thought of that too. Um, sleazier um, than Black Belly, but had the feel. S- sleazier, but respectfully to this film, I don't think in the same league. I think oh, yeah. Black Belly is is upper echelon yeah. Jallo. Um, not to say this one's good, definitely, but mm-hmm. you know, 
when you have Giancarlo Giannini and uh, what's her name, um, uh, Centrelli or uh, Sandrelli, uh, Ivana is it Ivana Sandrelli. Yeah, I think so. Luciana Sandrelli, the the woman who played his wife, and he had three Bond girls getting nude and killed, Bach and Boucher and everything else. So, but yeah, no, this one certainly is good though. A good entry in the genre, but yeah, so. One that this uh, features uh, Silva Koskina. Uh, I think she's Slavic. She did a lot of Italian films at the time. Uh, Nev, uh, Nieves Navarro, who also went by Susan Scott at this time. Interestingly, she was. I saw this uh, in her IMDb when I was looking last night. Um, she ended up marrying Luciano Ercoli, uh, who did Death Walks on High Heels, Death Walks at Midnight. So <clears throat> I thought it was interesting. She kind of went the. Um, uh, the Edwidge Fennick route because uh, she married uh, Martino's brother yes. or was, was dating him or something so they ended up working getting nude in a lot of films uh, as a result of that so. <laughs> the, uh, she also that uh, actress she was uh, I believe she was in uh, she was Luca Canale's wife I think no or was it wasn't she no I'm pretty sure she wasn't um, I could have swore I remembered her from Manhunt maybe I could have uh, swore that but maybe I'm wrong you know what, I'm going to look as I'm talking because that's going to bother me now. And I'm going <laughs> to yeah. think about it and get derailed. Yeah, I was looking at this director's filmography as we go along here, and he did a film with uh, Richard Harrison and Gordon Mitchell called, uh, 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 what, let, me see, let me see what the alternate title here is, A Woman for Seven Bastards, also known as Sewer Rats. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to look into this thing. Seven Bastards sounds like a classy dame. <laughs> yes. Yes, and part of the and the the writers are credited as the one writer, but the idea for the film was Richard Harrison's. So now I have to look into this. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Luciana Paluzzi was the uh, oh, okay the actress that I was thinking of, and I was thinking of I haven't looked her up, but the name did come to me. Stefania Sandrelli oh. uh, was the uh, the actress I was thinking of. I really like her. Uh, yeah, there she is, Stefania. She was in uh, the Conformist, the Bertolucci film as well. Oh yes. Um, so yeah, you know, it's got some talent. Granger, you know, worked with Hitchcock, and he worked a lot in Italy in the, at the time. Um, and we have to say that Granger really comes correct with a properly groomed stash in this one. It's very neatly uh, groomed, you know. Impeccably groomed. Like it's there's not a hair out of place. It lines yeah. up perfectly. He, uh, you know, I mean, for those, I mean, he just recently passed away, and uh, a lot of people claim that you know he could have been a bigger star. Of course, you know, he lived. He, he was one of the few actors who, in the day, would. You know, basically admitted to his homosexuality. He never hid it, really. So, you know, he lived his life. Oh, I out. never knew that, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a homosexual man. So he lived his... And that's a lot of people claim that, you know, he probably would have been a bigger star because, you know, Hollywood was a different place back then. So not that that stuff wasn't going on, but he was, you know, unlike Rock Hudson and people like that, he was completely out and about. So, you know, you know much more power to him. But I always like Farley Granger. I think he's he's got a good... He's got a nice face. Uh, you know, he's a good actor. Not a great actor, but he's a good actor and... Uh, he fits in good with these type of films. I think it's timely for me that I didn't know he was gay. I could kind of, I don't want to say that, I hope this doesn't come across in a bad way. I kind of got the vibe perhaps he was. Yeah. Um, but it's timely because I was just kind of, I wanted to, I won't have the time of course, but I wanted to write a blog post about uh, how it's, it's, I like the fact that Jeremy Renner, who who is homosexual, uh, you know, he's getting all these big macho Hollywood parts and I just, I love the notion of all these kind of like um, energy drink kind of action film watchers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, rooting for Renner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's because, you know, there's always those those guys out there, you know, that, you know, you know, feel like it's like a, some kind of, you know, a threat to their masculinity or some bullshit, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, fucking tools. Yeah. So I like that it kind of subversively sticks one in their ear, literally <laughs> yeah. and figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so anyway, but yeah, to get back to Mr. Granger. Um, yeah, so yeah, he works quite well in this film because he's kind of got this off, slightly off-kilter kind of vibe about him in this film um, that works pretty well, I think, uh, in line with, with some things that happened in the film. But, you know, one of the things I like about this film is the voyeurism in this. Um, it's different than a lot of the voyeurism that happens in Jalo, which is more about perversion and misogyny. It's It kind of fuels the killer's uh, motivation for different reasons and different motivations and I'm going to come out and say it the motivation for the killer in this is a lot more ground I think in reality than some of the loopy um, kind of psychological mumbo jumbo that's, that's, that comes about in a lot of jellos yes yes this one uh, this one doesn't really it doesn't go the route of uh, you know kind of wacky plot twists and stuff this one's pretty straight up the uh, straight up and down and it actually makes sense it does make sense and I got to say they do a good job of of getting you to kind of buy into this character, that character. And I'll be forthright. The person that I thought was the killer was killed about halfway through the film. <laughs> yes. So. I'll have, you know, to, I'll have to agree with that. <laughs> yeah, it just seemed like I know they're going this way. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're setting him up to be kind of a lamb to the slaughter. But he's, you know. But anyway, I don't want to say too much. Um, and they even, they even have the obvious dupe with uh, Luciano Rossi, Luciano Rossi uh, who plays uh, the, the not at all creepy Gaston. <laughs> yeah, he's he's not he's not creepy at all. <laughs> no, and you know what? Here's a piece of trivia, Sammy. Uh, is he the first actor to be featured on our show in back to back weeks? Whoa, uh, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. But no, whoa, whoa. City of the Living Dead. He, he had a small part in. Oh wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a huh. little piece of trivia there. But yeah, he always plays a fucking. Kukuru scumbag, or like in the Euro crime films with Lindsay, he always plays guy who gets you know pretty brutally murdered. Uh, so kind of funny to see him pop up. He was a hunchback, eh? In real life. Oh, this is, wow. <clears throat> yeah, he's a character actor. Yeah, yeah, he's got some interesting films, and of course, you know, Salon Kitty's in there. Yeah, Violent Naples he's got some interesting stuff in his uh, in his uh, filmography. Oh, yeah, no, no wonder I wouldn't have noticed him in City of Living Dead. He plays policeman in apartment. <laughs> so yeah, he he's just become one of those faces over time. <laughs> You've seen him so much that when he does pop up, even in a background thing, you kind of pick him out. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But uh, nice. yeah, good old Luciano Rossi. Um, the score was good at times. Um, I want to because I meant to look this up ahead of time. Uh, the score was good at times, but other times it felt a little too mystery of the week. Yeah, yeah. The main theme is good, uh, yes. but there's some other moments where it does feel. Yeah, it just doesn't feel. Well, I mean, it's just not what you expect out of these type of films, I guess. You know, one of the things about Italian films is always the music. I think one of the things they they tend to get right typically is the music. Even though even if the music doesn't fit the film, sometimes the music is still really good. And uh, I can't remember who composed the music for this one, but uh, Giorgio Gazzolini. And yeah. I only knew that because I was looking it up. But interesting, he did Deep Red. Ah, yes, there we go. <clears throat> that is interesting. You know what the main theme reminded me of uh, a lot, almost like I, I thought maybe he did it and just kind of um, rejigged it a bit for this film was, you know, because it, it was very horn-based and had that... Which uh, sounds a lot like the opening theme that's a little more pacey for uh, Milano Vervente, which is Gang War in Milan with Antonio Zabato. Ah, uh, yes. Sounds yes. a lot like that. You know, I just, re- I just, I was thinking about themes, and I just re- recalled that I forgot to mention something in the what I watched, which was uh, W is War. But I'll talk about it when I come back on the show and 
and more. But uh, yeah, that's definitely going to be on the GGTMCQ going forward. <laughs> it sounded pretty incredible. Uh, it's it's pretty incredible. Outside of Indonesian action cinema, it's pretty fucking incredible. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I've heard. Man, it's got um, dwarf or midget henchmen, and yeah, they both look like. Uh, I'm trying to think what they would look like. Uh, they look like well, they look like they both look like Lano from Thundercats, which uh, is incredible. Yeah, and uh, it's it's just trust me. Well, I'll talk more about it next week and uh, or whenever whenever I come back. So. And let me just say one more thing. If there's no other reason to see Hobo with a shotgun, then do it to see all of the bottles saying B and J, <laughs> nice whiskey, <laughs> nice, which was really great. Uh, and this film, getting back to segue back into this. JMB, of course, is shown prominently as it should be. Yes. You know, throughout the film. There's an interesting almost white label. I don't know if that bottle sat out in the sun or if that was uh, a variant on the, uh, <laughs> the yellow label. Yeah, I got it written down here. It's around a 35 minute mark. Uh, you said it, brother, 35 minutes. Man. It's an aphrodisiac, obviously, you know, in this. <clears throat> certainly <laughs> is. Um, there's a whole lot of bush in this film. Uh, yes, well, yeah. No I way mean, I'd get around that. No, no. These women are very Italian and other things. So, <laughs> yeah, which you know, which is great, man. Yeah, you know, it's uh, you know, I'm always done with the '70s aesthetic, to put it politely. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, yeah, you know what's great about the way they shot these nude scenes, some of these films, the lovemaking scenes, is they almost feel like they're shot even down to the grains, which might have been restored footage. I don't know, but the way they're shot almost seemed like um. Like an amateur nude film, like you know how you see from like that time, like shot on eight millimeter or something. It's really weird. It seems like the film quality diminishes a little bit whenever you get a love scene in the film. Um, yeah, almost like the guy's taping it on like his little eight millimeter camera. Yeah, it's like they had to shoot it separate or something, and the film quality or the film stock they had wasn't there, or maybe it was stuff that was edited out and it just wasn't taken care of, and they put it right. back in. I don't know, but I mean, it did feel like bits and pieces of it were. Uh, you know, a little rougher. They reminded me of uh, the back end of Taxi Driver, how Scorsese uh, changed the film stock on the back end so he could get a, you know, an R rating. Uh, mm-hmm. He did it on purpose, obviously, but that's what it felt like. It felt like the, the film totally changed in yeah. those little spots. Oh, no, for sure. Because um, some of the murders are pretty great in this film. Um, you know, there's a really slow-mo one, which slow-mo is not used enough, I don't think, in Jalos because, uh, you know, it's used pretty effectively. Although the scene, I think they shot day for night and they, they made it a little too dark. Uh, yeah. But, but the scene itself is good with the slow motion. I always get that sense when the, the stalking and it's in slow motion. I always feel like I'm watching like a, a nature show with, with the predator hunting its prey. Yeah, yeah, because that's what it no. feels like. It really feels like that. <clears throat> Sorry, I was interrupted you by clearing my throat. What were you saying? <laughs> no, I was just saying it really feels like that. Of course, especially the, uh, the great scene on the, uh, the beach. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a pretty ironic murder, speaking of nature, that's pond side. And it's got a pair of swans kind of observing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the irony in that is that this woman who is unfaithful um, is slaughtered beside swans who, when they mate, they mate for life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I wonder if that was intentional. I think it must have been. Yeah, it could have uh, been. It could have been. Um, Granger is, is, is fine in the film. I don't think he's great. He's certainly no one's definition of intense. No, no. He's, there's a lot of scenes in this film where, you know, something happens and you can tell that they shot like a lot of scenes with, uh, you know, other actors to, to give, you know, to move the story along. And you can tell they probably did all those scenes in one day because it doesn't even look like their costumes change. No. And even though it's supposed to be another day. <laughs> so it's like, uh, okay, I guess we'll just knock all these scenes out we have with this actor and then we'll knock all these scenes out. But that, I'd say that's probably pretty typical of you know, low-budget cinema, you know, you're like, hey, let's just knock all these out. Maybe we'll just change the jacket. 
and yeah. uh, you know that's about it. Maybe you'll smoke a cigarette in this scene. Maybe the next scene you won't be. He does. Uh, he does smoke the cigarettes in this. Uh, doesn't he have the uh, the plastic tips on him? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's nice. I always like the the gentlemanly uh, plastic tip. Not the uh, not the wand like the females will smoke back in the day. But this is the uh, this is the plastic tips. Yeah, those to, tips must have smelled disgusting. Yeah, I, must, I used to smoke uh, those little cigars with the plastic tips. And uh, Oh, uh, fuck, what are they called? I can't even remember what they're called, but I used to smoke those. And, uh, of course, you know, at home and everything else sitting around, it looks fine. But then when you're out in public and you smoke them, you kind of, it's kind of, I don't know what, what it is, but I feel like a douchebag. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can see that. <laughs> like, look at this guy over here with the fucking plastic tips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you didn't have the stem holder that the chicks rocked and with no. a white uh, glove up to the elbow. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, been... and a bracelet on the outside of the glove. No, I, did, <laughs> I didn't have that, but uh, that would have been awesome if I did. <laughs> yeah, awesome to some, others not so much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but uh, good kill on a set of wrought iron spiral stairs in this, which is nice. Yeah, the kills are all good. The, uh, I don't know if the kills are as good as, as, as much as, like you said, the stalking is the, the real the real uh, strength of this movie, the kind of the stalking and the kind of the, the the craziness of the kill, but the actual kill itself, you know, not, I, I guess they're graphic, but uh, you know what I really like about this film? I, let me just go ahead and say this now because I didn't write this note down. And I'll forget to say it. I know I will. Uh, I like that in this film, and I know this is going to sound kind of piggish, but uh, this is what I like. I like that in this film, breasts are always falling out of dresses. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Or they're always falling out of a towel. Or they're always just kind of falling out. Like A lot of films, you know, that would just be sexy enough to, to where they would almost fall out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these films are kind of geared toward, you know, the sexuality of uh, females and things like that. And so in this film, you know, you get a lot of nice moments where stuff is, you know, falling out. Which, you know, as a male, that's always a, a pleasant experience, you know. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure it is. No, you're right, man. It's... You know, definitely. Um, something else, I, you know, I don't know if you knew this. I didn't know it going in, but uh, do you remember there was the chick, Renata, near the back end of the film, her boyfriend, uh, you know, there's an issue scene with them. But what's interesting was Renata's boyfriend rose to prominence, great prominence in the 80s in American films. And his name was, of course, Kenny Loggins. And uh, <laughs> yes. I have to think it had to be Kenny Loggins because this motherfucker had one of those closely cropped porno beards and middle of the neck feathered hair. Yes. I'm all right. right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, good old Kenny yeah. K Log showing up in a giallo. Good for yes. him. Uh, <laughs> I thought, I, you know, this film to me was, was, was um, kind of trundling along at a, at a respectable pace and I was enjoying it. Um, but it really elevates itself when there's a reveal from the killer to Granger um, that muddies the water uh, in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I really, really like that. And, you know, that back 20 minutes, it's kind of it's great, sleazy, unpredictable decisions are made and so forth. But I just got one more note. I never realized how much Granger, particularly in this film, looks like one of my uncles uh, with a better mane. <laughs> Is that uh, is that Uncle Capuana you have? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's my uncle Eric, and uh, it's really funny. He nice. he looks like him. my uncle's a bit more of an East. Actually, ironically, he's from Nova Scotia. Nice, um, but he's he's you know a bit of a bigger dude, and he's got more kind of curly, curly hair. But uh, I think Farley man, you look at like my uncle. So <laughs> Uncle uh, Eric the Viking uh, from Nova Scotia. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's that's it for me, man. What do you got? Uh, okay, so yeah, this one is uh, like you say, it's notor- uh, notoriously sleazy, and, it, and again, the bold opening. Also, uh, 
as a statement almost, it feels to me like it's meta because you hear one of the cops tell the other cops, make sure to shoot lots of close-ups, which yeah, yeah. it's like the director's like, yeah, good idea. Yeah, <laughs> Let's shoot absolutely. as many close-ups of his naked body as we possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's a nice touch, you know, and uh, the killer in the film is, it's a nice simple look. It's a, you know, a trench coat, black hat, black stocking on face. The it's, blood and black lace is a very popular yeah. giallo uh, costume yeah very simple uh the killer wore, uh, moves well in the in the uh the costume so only thing that would have made it exceptional is if it was a uh, if it was a uh, if he had a pea coat on but he has a trench coat not a pea <laughs> coat. so <laughs> of course that would have given away that he was white that's right so he's the pea yes. coat for the white guys <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, again, I agree with you. The music in the film is good. It's it can be atmospheric in spots, but then some spots. Uh, I even have the same note. It can be slightly overbearing, uh, like it's really pounding you on the head in certain spots. So we both totally felt that same thing. Uh, there is some, there is some uh, hints of uh, you know homosexuality in the film, and some and some questions mentioned about homosexuality and things like that, which. I find it interesting. I wonder if, you know, Granger might have done the film because, you know, he, you know, like I said before, you know, he was open about his homosexuality and stuff. So, you know, I guess maybe he, you know, I don't know if they worked it in because he was in the film or maybe this, you know, he would, you know, was interested in the film because of that. Of course, you know, he did a few Italian films and he's been on our show a couple times now, The Prowler, and he was, uh, he was on the first show ever with, uh, they call me Trinity. He was in, uh, That's he was right. the sheriff in that film. So Granger's kind of a, you know, second or third tier GGTMC guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's, 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 he's in there. But first tier with how well he maintains that stash. Now, most importantly, and this is the main, the biggest question we have to have in this review, and I have to aim this particularly at you because you'll know what I'm, where I'm coming from. I have to ask you, was that Mike Holmgren in the elevator? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty positive that was Holmgren, man. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Talk about, talk, talk about your red herring scenes, man. No doubt, man. <laughs> that one just screams Italian cinema. It's like, wow, you know. <laughs> and this is fucking guy walks in. I'm sitting there looking at it. I'm like, that guy looks like Mike Holmgren, man. <laughs> yeah, is that a Seahawks jacket on? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of fun with that, man, because you just, and you just talk about creepily staring at a female. Jesus, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, this film is set in the swinging 70s, and, you know, it makes mention of it quite a bit, you know. Uh, sexuality, you know, just sexual revolution, revolution, you know, in the late 60s, 70s, so it's in there. You know, a lot of infidelity, things like that. I could see where some people might consider this film maybe misogynistic, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I don't... When it comes to perhaps, yellow... yeah, perhaps. Because yeah. I think the women get their just desserts and the men are left to uh, explain things. Well, I mean, like you talking about the last 20 minutes, I mean, there's a decision made in the last 20 minutes that could be considered... You know, vengeful, misogynistic, it can be considered all kinds of things. But uh, it's it's a great decision, and and uh, I think it really kind of, you know, it's not going to be my make or break, but it really does kind of, for me, make the film. Oh, me too, me too. Uh, it won't be my make or break because I don't want to talk, I can't really talk about it because it'll give away, uh, you know, basically the end of the film. But it's a, it's a great decision uh, that's, that's very interesting, let's put it that way. Uh, and also, there's a ton of zoom shots in this film. Uh, you know, I love the, uh, <laughs> I love the uh, the zoom shot. You know, it's it's some directors hate it. I know that. I've listened to a lot of commentaries where people complain about people using the zoom. But uh, what I love about uh, low budget cinema, you know, Hong Kong cinema stuff like that, is you know the use of the zoom is always fun. Uh, of course, in Hong Kong cinema, it's very shaky and crazy, and sometimes really fast. 
and this is a little <laughs> slower, but uh, still fun. And which is I'll consider you know true legend. I was watching that. That's got the zoom in there too, the old school zoom in there a little bit. So it's kind of nice. I like. I still like that. But yeah, I like the aesthetic of the film, man. The transfer looks great. Uh, I haven't listened to the commentary yet. I'm going to listen to that sometime soon. Uh, looking forward to that to hear some some people talk about it. I hope. I wonder if they bring up the Harry Reem stuff. That'd be interesting to see if they do. Yeah, it will be. Uh, it's very interesting to me. I, I, I think you know the scene I was talking about. The scene, the slow motion on the beach. I really, I really like that. I mean, I really like the the way it moves. And I, you, you bring up a good point. The uh, slow motion kind of stalking, killing. It does really feel like a nature show, like a like a like a cougar attacking a prey, or like a you know a lioness attacking a zebra. Uh-huh. Or maybe something attacking a cougar. Yeah, well, there you go. In this case, <laughs> yes, something attacking a cougar. Because there's a lot of cougars in this film. You are a correct. A lot of cougars. I mean, you see them at the salon bickering about the men. And- yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, that homosexual hairdresser, man. Talk about uh, a stereotype. Well, the mincing kind of. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they do. That, that was. He does the little know. laugh where he puts his hands up to his face like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's really kind of goofy, but it's, it's fun. It's, 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 I had, I had a good time. I mean, obviously it's not as good as, and I agree with you. It's not as good as Black Belly. And I don't remember what I gave Black Belly. So hopefully I didn't give it the similar score than what I gave this. And then, you know, I'll sit here and say that Black Belly is a better film. But irregardless, I mean, if, and irregardless is not a word. I just remember that from Miles. <laughs> but regardless, there you go, Miles, of, uh, the quality of uh, those two films, this still had that same feel to me quite a bit. I do think the acting is better than Black Belly, and the direction's a little bit better. But the direction in this film's not bad. It's 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 pretty good. No. So, all right, that's that's pretty much all my thoughts on uh, So Sweet So Dead. Okay, uh, my make or break. My I'm not going to talk about it, but I am going to mention it for when people do see it. The decisions and the reveals that are made by one of the lead characters at the end that really muddy the waters and and give the film another layer in terms of commentary and, a, and a, another layer of depth in terms of it, it, it's the decisions that are made are very interesting and I commend the film for going that route versus the obvious route Right. right. so I'll, I'll just leave it at that because like I said everything else everything else you know keeps its head above water as far as Yali go you know it's got lots of nude women lots of kills moves pretty pacily um, you know so but then that's what really kind of rises it above for me. MVT is just the sleaziness of it. Um, you know, there's even a little more nudity in Bush in this than most Jally, so we're not saying something. Um, <laughs> yes, that you is. know, Granger was serviceable. The women were serviceable. There was no uh, Marissa Mel or, you know, Stefania Sandrelli for me to really, <gasps> you know. <laughs> yes. well, that sounded worse than I meant it to. Um, <laughs> Might be another future sound clip there for Bill, maybe. Yeah, he could time that with the uh, uh, that would be pretty bad. Um, but uh, my score for the film is a seven out of ten. You know, very respectable entry into the genre. Um, I would certainly encourage people to check it out. Yes, yes, definitely, and pick up this release too if you want to, because it's got a commentary and some special features and stuff. Uh, of course, you have to have a region-free DVD player. So yes, be be aware of that for this for this release. I'm sure it's out there in other ways, but. Uh, I would I would say you know if you're a Yellow fan pick up this release though because like I say really nice box art and stuff, um, and uh, you can buy it obviously you can buy it at OMG you can buy it at Diabolic you can buy it anywhere it's it's out there so uh, okay uh, my make or break I'm gonna go again I would go with the last uh, the last bit but it gives way too much to talk about it uh, so I'm gonna go with my second favorite scene in the film which of course is 
is the the beach scene, the stalking and killing on the beach, which I can talk about. That that was pretty amazing. Uh, third favorite scene being Mike Holmgren with the Oakleys. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I really like the uh, the beach scene quite a bit. I like the uh, I like I always like it when something happens and uh, a character through desperation is still trying to get away, but you know that you know they're mortally wounded, right? So. I always like that. I can't think there's another film I really like that happens in. It's more modern stuff. Seems like Scorsese does that quite a bit and some other people, but it's, yeah. nice. it's a nice touch. Uh, my MVT, uh, you know what? For this one, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Granger in this one. And the reason why is, is, is some things that happen in the film that, again, can't talk too much about and stuff. But I like some of the, the choices, some of the things that are done. I like the kind of dapper, I like the dapper mustache as well. I like the uh, you know he's impeccably dressed, and uh, I like I like a lot of that stuff. So I'm gonna go with him. I don't think I've ever given Granger one, so I'm gonna give him his just due and give him the MVT here on this one. Uh, my score is just a little bit higher than yours, seven point two five. It's always interesting when we both like films. Either one of us is point two five higher, or one of us is point two five lower. It always seems like we're right around there. So we, oh, yeah. we see this one pretty much completely the same. Matter of fact, most of the notes you had were the same notes I had. So there oh, we for go. sure, yeah. There we go. So. Okay, that is our thoughts on uh, So Sweet, So Dead. We're going to take a short break, come back and talk about Black Tavern. We'll be back right after this. Hi, Andy's Grandma. We're here to record a new episode of Night of the Living Podcast. Is Andy home? Oh, me so sorry. He in the hole right now. You follow me. Oh, Andy's room smells kind of weird. Yeah, really strange. He left his computer on over here, too. Hey, guys, why do you think Andy might have this mask of human skin. That's weird. Maybe you guys know why there's this machete in the corner. This computer's just knife enthusiast websites in American apparel. Oh, wait, there's another website here. Palaver.com. Palaver. Okay, Palaver. Whatever, I think... Palaver. Yeah, he's definitely got the serial killer board up right under uh, Night of the Living podcast discussions. Oh, Jesus. Uh, maybe we should get the hell maybe out of here. Maybe we should go. Yeah, I think we should. Hey, guys. You ready to record? <laughs> If you're a fan of horror films, you should check out Night of the Living Podcast at notop.com. Part of the Palaver family. And if somebody ever really loved me, then she done me. She done me good. Don't let me down Don't let me down Don't let me down Alright, we are back. It's a nice uh, nice Beatles cover right there. I really like that. I'll take that over the fucking original, man. Uh, that's nice. Actually, I will too, because I don't really like the Beatles song that much. <laughs> so, Nor do I. So. It's a pretty good one there. All right, uh, so this will probably be our first one we've ever covered with an actor named Unicorn Chan in it. So uh, <laughs> if you can give us a synopsis of uh, Black Tavern, we'll get going on it. Yeah, let's, let's do it, man. Um, there's not one on the page, of course. Really what this film is, is it's a... Uh, let me just give a quick rundown. This film actually came about because of my listening to podcasts. I just want to get it out of the way. 
Um, there is a great Asian film podcast that used to be around that is no longer around. Um, this is when we didn't have the luxury of having great shows um, like V Cinema, Podcast Without Honor Humanity, a Podcast on Fire, the cover Asian cinema to listen to. Uh, this was when a great one called Genre Busters was out. And um, uh, D. Davis was one of the hosts, and he had mentioned this film, Black Tavern, and how it was kind of a you know, morally ambiguous film and, you know, essentially what the film is about uh, is about, um, it took me a few years to track it down too. It's about uh, some bandits who catch word that a, um, I guess essentially a politician or a magistrate or someone's coming through town to stop at this tavern with a load of uh, jewels and gold and all of these bandits arrive at the tavern to try to fuck the others over and uh, yes. keep the... Uh, the goodies for themselves. So uh, I picked this film. I'm very, very curious to see what you have to say about it. Yeah, I bet, I bet you are after you saw my comment on Facebook. <laughs> all right, so uh, yeah, this film. Okay, so it, it kind of starts out, I mean, like all Shaw Brothers movies. I mean, it, it opens. Well, not this one, not like all Shaw Brothers movies. This one, actually, I should say, it gets going pretty quick, like a lot of Shaw Brothers stuff. But this one has a very kind of a minstrel type feel, and not and not what by that do I mean a flow? I mean, uh, you know, they, we got uh, we got singing characters in between, or actually, I think one time or two times, I think it's the same singing character, right? The kind of drunkard, uh, you know, yeah, the uh, dinner theater at its finest with the most black tooth actor ever. Uh, yeah, it's you know if you ever wanted a, a black toothed uh, Mandarin middle aged <laughs> Chinese Barry Manilow, yeah. he's your guy. Yeah, yeah, there you go. But you know he's he's uh, giving us some songs and some stuff and basically moving some uh, some uh, plot threads while he's doing it and stuff. And it's pretty fun. I mean, it's got some wacky comedy in it, uh, which is pretty interesting considering uh, this movie's pretty violent. Uh, yeah, actually, I'd say it's very violent in in a lot of ways. Uh, maybe not, oh, yeah. you know, maybe not hyper gore, but it's definitely much gorier than I thought it was going to be, and much more violent than I thought it was going to be. Um, one of my first questions has to be, you know, I know why they were doing. It. I mean, were they attempting to rob Santa Claus? Is that who? Is that was that who they were attempting to rob? There? <laughs> yeah, that, I thought the same thing, man. That dude had um a cloak or something on that was red velvet with white fur trim, so. <laughs> You know, it's like I can understand why they were going after him, man. Fucking, you know. Yeah. Although his reindeer were not very well trained Definitely in battle, something to be desired, <laughs> yes. certainly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but no, I, I thought that was kind of interesting and stuff. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't really waste any time getting going, and uh, it, it's it's fun. You know, we get the bandits on the road, and when you say bandits, and you're talking about the plot synopsis a little bit, this is kind of like one of those things with uh, roving gangs, and all the gangs have like a kind of a unique personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of have this like little thing they do and stuff, and, and it's it's pretty great. Uh, let me say also that the lady innkeeper man, she's a hell of a shot with anything. Yeah, she can throw anything, and it's spot on no matter what she does. <laughs> Weapons, bowls of soup, it doesn't matter. <laughs> she can spot it on. You know, she missed her calling. You know, obviously, you know, she'd have been a, like a dead eye target somewhere. Uh, but yeah, it, it's pretty great stuff, and that kind of segues into. What I some of my favorite stuff in the film, man. I did not expect the exceptional use of the whip oh. that is in this movie. I mean, it, it is really highlighted this whip, this whipping, uh, and it's not whipping characters so much. It's just the exceptional ideas and thoughts and things that go into it. And of course, there's that great first moment with the whip, with the uh, well, I, 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 I don't think it's you a can plot, you plot can point. say it. I think yeah, there's a a beheading with a whip. I don't think I've ever seen that. 
No, no, I have not. Uh, a woman gets beheaded by a whip, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, and uh, there's some pretty great moments with the whip altogether. I mean, it comes back to play later in the film too, but it's pretty awesome, man. Um, again, like I said, it has that minstrel feel, and it kind of keeps the story beats going and stuff, kind of gives you a weird thing. You know, the, the, our characters, they all end up in this. And what I also like about this film, we say it's shot in, uh, it looks like like a mountain terrain where it's cold and stuff. So it has that really kind of nice feel of seclusion, this tavern. And obviously this tavern's a very dark place when they show up there. And the reason why I say that is, and, and this is, again, not a plot point, we get a couple cooks in the back. And, you know, one of them brings up, you know, a leg, a human leg. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> very a very rubbery human leg but uh still a human leg and i'm like what the fuck kind of movie am i watching you know i i didn't expect that at all i mean that came out of nowhere and i was like wow this thing's gonna be really dark and of course it never really gets that dark again but in that, that that's not really explored there's a couple comments made about it and stuff in the film but it's very interesting uh, i just did not expect that at all i don't know if you did but i, I did not <laughs> i didn't i'll tell you i love how dark and how insane and gory this is in comparison to a lot of other uh shaw brothers films uh, teddy yip uh is the director he didn't do much but i'll tell you i want to see everything he's done um mm -hmm. you know he really is a guy that you know uh, brought something different to the table as far as uh, it being a Shaw Brothers film, the hook for me was, of course, it being morally ambiguous. Right. Um, you I know, think, and, where, 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 and, and on top of that, you get the stuff like, yeah, with the kind of black comic uh, stuff, right? With, you know, perpetuating the whole fucking pork bun myth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, weren't we? Uh, yes, well, there you go. Hey, this does taste like pork. We uh, we were weren't we talking before with this film, and 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 you were saying that you wanted to see if the Shaw Brothers Studios did. Uh, some more horror-based stuff. Didn't that where this film kind of started coming up and we were talking about it off the air? Yes and no. Where it came from was you and I were talking about, again, just kind of chuckling about you being more Western, me being more Eastern. And and then I said, you know what I love about Westerns that's lacking in, in uh, uh, Kung Fu films is um, how you have sort of anti-heroes or morally ambiguous stuff. It tends to be very black hat, white hat. And I said, you know, one we got on the roadmap, Black Tavern, uh, right, apparently right. plays into that. It's it's a little more uh, um, gray hat than anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's kind of where it came from. And this film is definitely gray hat. I mean, everything, everybody in the film is is morally, uh, <laughs> well, ambiguous. That's the best word to put it. I mean, everybody's everybody's out for something. I was looking through uh, Unicorn Chan's filmography. <laughs> Unfortunately, Unicorn Chan passed away in 1987. Horn was taken from him. He was never the same. Was one of Bruce Lee's best friends since childhood. Oh, wow. Oh, so, didn't know that. wonder what Bruce Lee called him. Uni? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Horny? Probably no. not. <laughs> 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 Uni? Horny? Uh, you know. Uni unicorny? I don't know. You know. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> oh, I had to clear my throat there. David, uh, very interesting name. I don't know if anybody would name any kid Unicorn. But uh, no. very interesting. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, there's... <laughs> The film has uh, some some weird moments in it, man. There's uh, some bun spitting, which was very Bugsy Malone-like. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and Bukaki-esque. <laughs> yes. Uh, very weird. Uh, we have some zombies in the film, uh, which is a pretty great, uh, fun fight uh, with the zombies and uh, you know, the violence in that scene and stuff. Uh, very weird. The zombies also, when they move, they hop, don't they? When they hopping? They're hopping, I believe. 
A little bit, yeah, which is like a vampire kind of undead uh, thing with, with uh, Hong Kong films. It's very strange. It's very strange. But this film, I, I did not expect... This is one of those movies where, you know, you we do it on the show, and I think I know what I'm in for. And I start watching it, and I can't quit watching it because I'm like, what the hell are they going to do next? Because I didn't see that one coming. I didn't see this coming. I didn't see that coming. You know, we got zombies. We got beheadings with whips. We got... Uh, all kinds Double of crossing, yeah. All uh, kinds of all these different warriors ask gangs. Yeah, some crazy fight scenes. I mean, some wacky yeah. stuff. And it, not only is it choreographed well, the fight scenes, but it's also just kind of off, off the, off the radar with some of the ideas they come up with, but the uh, the fighting and stuff. That's what I really liked about it was, you know, you see a lot of these films, and we talk about this all the time on the show. A lot of these kung fu films. You know, after a while, if you just watch like twenty kung fu films in a row, let's be honest. After a while fatigue yeah they're gonna they're gonna start running into each other and you're gonna start be like oh i can't watch another kung fu film for like a year but this one i have to admit uh yeah this one's uh totally different as far as that goes and also it kind of reminds me of from dust till dawn a little yeah yeah with that kind of closed in tavern insanity i have to believe you know we gotta remember who wrote dust till dawn i have to believe in some way that he's familiar with this film. I have to too because there's a few other slight moments, brief moments in this film that I thought, well, he's 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 uh, referenced that in a film of his before. Yes, yes, like and the, the whole circle swoop with the sword, and mm-hmm. you know, there's a few things. And the characters, you know, they all have their you know own moves, and there's some badasses in the tavern. There's some not so badasses. You know, you got your supernatural elements mixed in there. You know, the only thing you don't have is, you know. The director acting. I don't think he's in the film anyway. I don't think. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think uh, Teddy was in. Sadly, it also doesn't feature Salma Hayek doing a strip tease with a snake. Yes, unfortunately, that's not in yes. here either. That that is a shame. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I have to believe it a little bit because it really is one of those situations where not as many people, obviously, but it's one of those situations where everybody shows up to a location thinking they got everything under control and everything is actually not in their control at all. Yes. A great act, a great uh, turn by. I can't remember the name of the character in the film, but it was that old guy with the. Uh, didn't he have a spear or something, or some oh, kind of lance um, or whatever? Long hop. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. It, the great fight scene with him. He shows up, and uh, it's pretty funny, and at the same time, pretty original. There's some great. Well, some of these actors' names in this film, man. Dean Sheck. Uh, oh, Dean Sheck played the uh, the the kind of uh, goofy. Um, like priest uh, minstrel oh. guy. Oh, okay. There you go. And then, of course, there's uh, an actor named Mars, who I believe was. In, I know he's in some Jackie Chan stuff because I've seen him in Jackie Chan stuff. Of course, I could be a real, I could be a real jerk here and say, uh, yeah, you know, I've seen most of these guys in Jackie Chan film, but I actually Mars. haven't. Mars, Mars. I wonder yeah. if that was. Is his name just Mars? Uh, I like it. There's not a lot of info available about this film, so you know, we're kind of flying off the radar here because, again, this is all this is all new to me because I've never seen. I, I'd heard of this film, but I'd never seen it or anything so this is all new to me yeah and sadly it's out of print it was put out when they pushed all the celestial i think it was or camera who was they put out a lot of the shaw brothers stuff um they put out stuff like this which was nice to see because it just was like you couldn't fucking get it right. but i think it's out of print now which is a shame yeah. because it's you know it's, it's gonna be hard for people to find and that's really sad because you know this i think uh, I'll come on and say that it should be kind of like a not the holy grail film but it really is one that i think our listeners need to to kind of uh pound the pavement to grab yeah it's one of those uh shaw brother movies that it's totally uh, i've seen a lot of shaw brother stuff but this one is one of the more original ones i've seen and uh 
yeah, people really need to you know do whatever they can to see this one. I think because this one's pretty special, especially if you're a fan of this type of cinema and you've never seen it. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Um, yeah, because it 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 totally brings some new stuff uh, to the uh, to the table, or at least some different stuff. Maybe not new stuff, but definitely some different stuff. And and has a different feel. I'd be curious if some of our uh, more versed uh, listeners and other fellow podcasters know a lot about this film. So. Hopefully, like Josh and some people like that, if they know some more, they'll, they'll call in stuff because I don't ever, I will never claim to be a Shaw Brothers uh, 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 expert. I'm just, just a huge fan, but I know some of our listeners, our podcaster, fellow podcasters, and some of our listeners out there are big, big, you know, like Jake and these guys. I mean, I'm sure they know like quite a bit. Oh yeah, and sadly, yeah, this is even Region Three. It's fucking out of print. It's hard to find this fucking film, and it's yeah, so too bad. But, but uh, yeah, I mean. The, the, you know, there's a great uh, <laughs> there's a great fight between a whipmaster and a female Avenger at the the back end. Oh, it's just pretty amazing stuff. I mean, this film. The most impressive thing about this film is you really think about it. It's very limited sets. This is something the Shaw Brothers do anyway, because you know they they made their movies and they made them. You know, I don't know how much they spend on their movies typically, but this looks like one of their cheaper ones. It's only got about three locations, maybe four. Mm-hmm. And uh, yet, you know, you never—it never feels that claustrophobic. It feels kind of epic in a weird way, and I, I guess maybe it's just because of the setting and the way the the taverns up on this mountain, it seems, and and stuff. And uh, I, I really like those those moments and stuff. And it also made me very hungry for buns. <laughs> well, you know what the interesting thing? I think when you get a good director, he uses limited sets to his advantage instead of his disadvantage. Yes, which this film does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you shoot from every angle and stuff. And they don't even, if you think about it, the tavern, they have rooms in the tavern, but I don't think they shoot any scenes actually in the rooms. They have people standing outside the rooms, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas most people would make a film like this, they'd have them going into the room and, you know, you get your hero going there and he'd probably take a shot of whiskey if it was an American movie. And, yeah. uh, you know, stuff like that. But this one, they just kind of go up to the rooms, but you never see them. And then they, if you do see them again upstairs, they're just kind of like standing outside the outside the room. They're never in the room, so... It's a really nice kind of lean way to make a movie, and it doesn't falter the movie at all. The movie moves along quite swiftly. Uh, it's only an 80-minute film, 80-something-minute film. 80, yeah, 82, 83 minutes, yeah. And, nice uh, and it moved, moved along really quickly, and, and everybody was fun in the film. I, I liked everybody in the film. Uh, oh, some yeah. great stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, but I'm going to keep my notes like right, right there because I don't I really have a whole lot more to add uh, other than the fact that people really need to seek this one out, I think. Yeah, it really is a shame. If any of our vendors uh, track it down or anyone knows of a way people can get it, I even, I've been trying to Google it to see where people can order it from. I thought Itai CD, which I know is, a, as far as I know, a fairly reputable online vendor. I thought they had it, but it's it's not there. So anyway, if anyone knows anything, please let us know. I've had mine for a couple of years now almost. So, um, you know, uh, I'd love to, you know, be able to, to share, but, you know. Right, uh, right. Some, but you know, just yeah. If someone can find it, let us know, and and I'd like to get another copy anyway. Um, so anyway, this film, you know, you could you could transfer the whole twist of this film to a western, couldn't you? I mean, it really feels like you know, with the saloon and a bunch of bandits and gold, and it really could be a western. Oh yeah, 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 totally, totally. And then we talk about that all the time. We talk about easterns and westerns and how similar they are in a lot of ways. And this one, yeah. Totally could be a western. Actually, I'd, you know, I'd like to see it made as a western. It'd be kind of fun. Yeah, Corbucci or someone would have been very cool. Um, so yeah, a lot of people talk about Dragon Inn as being kind of like the, 
preeminent kind of uh, tavern set uh, martial arts film, and and for me, this is the one. I'll just come out and say that. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and at times because it is kind of all this twisty, turny stuff, it almost feels like if the Coen Brothers were in the '70s and they worked for Shaw Brothers, this is what they would have made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. Just because it's, it's got some black humor and some, <laughs> some violence, kind of some one-upsmanship. Um, and if you ever wanted to see a wuxia film with the decapitation in it, you know, here you go. And and I'll tell you, the Whipmaster in this, uh, Ku Feng, who, who he worked a lot actually in Hong Kong. Man, got it over a hundred films. You know, he's really been around the block. He's uh, he's worked in a lot of prominent films. Uh, worked with Cheng Che. I mean, he's really you know on and on he goes. Um, <clears throat> he's really a badman and. If you ever thought to yourself, you know, I'd really love to see a pretty Chinese girl in period Chinese garb get decapitated by a man wielding a whip, then this is your movie. Agreed. So. You might hear some dogs barking in the background. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, and as great as the hook of this film is, like we said in the band, it's all converging on the tavern and, and the kind of the backdoor trickery and stuff. The fight scenes, like you said, really hold up well, which I think is admirable because... The hook alone is enough that even if the fights were average, it would have been enough for this to be an above-average film. But then you get fucking fantastic original fights. Not to say these are on 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 par with, um, you know, Drunken Master Two or or some of the really seminal uh, Cheng Che or Lao Kar Lung stuff. Right. But they're really fucking good, man. Like they're really good. You know. Yeah, um, yeah. That's the with thing. With a variety of weapons and characters. That's what I really loved. I really loved the uh, kind of originality. I'm just yeah. Kind of surfing the internet, I just noticed that uh, I don't watch the show Dancing with the Stars, but I just noticed that that guy that played—I uh, guess it was—I guess it's the same guy that played uh, the Cobra Kai kid. He's—he he's, was on Dancing. Johnny, with, oh, uh, Zabka, William Zabka. Yeah, it looks like he was on the show in, a, in like a Cobra Kai uh, jacket. Looks like he was harassing uh, Ralph Macchio on the show. <laughs> Macchio was on Dancing with the Stars. He's on Dancing with the Stars, evidently. How does he? How does he look now? Uh, Ralph Macchio, he's—he's he's aged well. He always had a very youthful look. I always liked. Uh, he's yeah, he looks all right for the. Ooh, maybe the hairline's a little leaves a little bit to be desired. Poor Ralph, but yeah. hey, you know it has you know, to happen at some point, Ralph. It, yeah, it certainly does. It certainly does. But uh, I know that's out of left field. But sorry, I just saw the Cobra Kai jacket in the corner of a website I was on. <laughs> no, no, hey, uh, I you know, Cray Kids literally one of my all time favorite films. So yes, yes. Um, I'm not you know. absolutely positive that's the actor, but whatever. Anyway, uh, sorry to get your point there. Uh, yeah, so um, anyway, um, I'm easily derailed by William Zabka talk. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> what's great, too, is with this film is that um, anyone at any time could kind of fuck someone over. And and it, it just, you know, it's got that hook and it's got kind of like this angle with, you know, ghost versus tigers and this and that. And it's it's really fantastical and... You know, I just, I love that about the film. Again, because a lot of times, you know, you get a great kung fu film, but the problem is a lot of them are very formulaic in that, you know, it was Zabka wearing a members only jacket with the Cobra Kai patch on it. I'm looking at it right now. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's an awesome jacket. Yeah, I love to have that jacket. I would love to have that jacket. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, a lot of times it's a very conventional uh, man gets humbled, he retreats and, and trains uh, in solitude and comes back to right wrongs or a man's teacher gets killed and he has to right some wrongs. This is so different from all that. And that's the great thing about this. Um, furthermore, you know, if you've ever said to yourself and pondered a very specific thought, and that was, 
you know, I'd really love a movie with a middle-aged Chinese man in a Viking helmet wielding a bow staff fighting an olive, or with an olive trench coat uh, and see him get outclassed in battle. Then this is also your film. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Viking helmets, a go-go. It's, uh, it's pretty great. And, you know, there's some great stuff in the snow. Some of the battles in the snow are really fantastic to look at. Um, Lady Hermit's uh, uh, mentor, or mentor, a uh, student, it should be said, this is sort of a quasi-sequel to the Lady Hermit. Uh, Cheng Pei Pei, who really paved the way for, um, for kind of badass uh, females in films. I know she, I believe she started working or coming to prominence in the 60s, Come Drink With Me, which is one we're going to cover on the show with Down the Line and Golden Swallow. Um, but her uh, student, uh, Shi Zhu, who I have to say is absolutely beautiful. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I mean, she is a real fox, man. It's right up there with um, William Zabka. She is right up there with Zabka. <laughs> um, but, I, wow, I mean, she was... And hey, let's say this. I mean, that backs, that, that last scene where she takes on, like, the... I can't remember what his name is. Ku Feng's character. Oh, yeah. Um, what a fucking epic battle. Most times you get a last, like this film, you know, fight, 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 fight. You know, most times you get, um, you know, like a five minute battle. This thing goes on for like 15 or 20 minutes, man. It's just insane. Indeed. You know, it, and, it, is, and, it is crazy. It's, it's, and, and sometimes with those kind of moments, you know, they kind of take me out of a film, but this one is so, it's so sort of original. And I'm so into it at this point that I just, I just, I wanted more fighting because it was just, I never knew what was going to happen. Yeah, no, I know. Well, that's the thing because this film kind of all bets are off. People are getting killed. People you didn't think to get. I didn't think one of those chicks was going to get decapitated with a whip that early on. <laughs> no, I didn't see that coming like, either. Who sees that coming? Yeah, I don't think anybody does. No, <laughs> right? So, you know, you get the foxy little lady hermit uh, student and, and, you know, really holds her own, you know, really holds her own. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, just some amazing kills. There's one scene, like there's some stuff where it's like you kind of your jaws open. Like there's that thing where she, I think it was her, she ricocheted either her or um, uh, fuck, what's his name? And you know what's funny? Uh, Tung Lee, who we should not mix up with T Lung, who you guys <laughs> talked about, of course, in Shatter. Yes. Um, Tung Lee is amazing in this film too. Really charismatic and. He's working a great stash, and he had, you know, he had a great look. Like, he should have been a bit of a bigger star. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, but I think it was either him or uh, Shi Tzu, the, the Lady Hermit character, they ricochet a knife off of something into a guy's throat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's pretty badass, man. <laughs> just wild, man. And then, yeah, that last battle in the snow, I mean, to keep one-upping itself with all these, you know, zombies and fucking tiger tiger fur wearing uh, <laughs> dudes and you know, that's what I'm saying I mean the film is way way I mean on my Facebook I said way nuttier than I thought I mean I thought I was I thought I knew what I was in for there's no way I could even you know I mean this is going to be one of those films that I tell people you know like dude oh, you got to check out Black Tavern man that one's just that one's crazy Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, what's great is the way they even shoot some of the battles. They shoot it a little differently than most uh, Kung Fu battles because not only do they shoot it in a way where you can see what's happening, but there's these kind of these kind of quirky moments where I don't really know how else to describe it other than like impact close-ups where like someone's face will smash through like a bamboo wall and you'll see their face just kind of like writhing in pain through, as it shatters through the wall. Yeah, you know yeah. they do that really well, and they just they destroy a lot of stuff. Like there's a scene when they're out in the snow and they're swinging weapons around, and then you see like all these bamboo fucking trees fall over, and you know it's. I, I really would have loved to have seen um, uh, a series of you know films, much like Lone Wolf and Cub, with the two main characters who come out of it at the end. Yes, yes. 
I mean, that really would have been something for me to see. So those are all my notes. Um, I'll kick it over to you for make or breaks and whatnot. All right. Uh, my make or break is there's numerous scenes in here that I could talk about as a make or break, but I have to go with like the last 15, 20 minutes because just, it just really amps it up. It takes it that much further. Uh, so the climax of this film is really the make or break. I mean, it really builds to this massive, massively crazy fight scene <laughs> that is, is pretty amazing and has to be seen. In some ways, it has to be seen to be believed. So... It's pretty great stuff. Uh, my MVT, I'm going to have to go with, I don't know who did the fight choreography, but that's who I'm going to go with. Uh, oh, I can't remember his name. I looked into him, though. Uh, he's uh, he done a fair bit of stuff. I can't remember now off the top of my head, though. This one is, you know, it's original, and that's saying something with these type of films because, you know, I always think I'm going to go back and watch one of these movies, and it's going to be, you know, something I've seen before. It's typical to, like, <clears throat> I guess the best way to describe it is, you know, like gunfights and westerns, you know, you think you're always going to see the same thing over and over and over again. And then sometimes a director will come out of nowhere and surprise you. Like, uh, I guess the best one I can come up with off the top of my head as far as westerns go is, is uh, Costner's decision to do what he did in open range, which I don't know you haven't seen, but that gunfight and yes. that one is just like, what the fuck? Where'd this come from? You know, it's like he'd been hanging on to this one for years, you know? So it's one of those kind of moments. And that's what it feels like to me in this one. The fight choreography feels like, you know, hey, I, I got some great ideas and nobody will let me use them. Well, why can't we use them for this film? And somebody's like, oh, yeah, come on. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Uh, my score for the film, this is a this this is a solid 8 out of 10, man. This is a good, this is a very, very good film. Uh, it's nice and pacey and exciting and, and fun and funny. It, it, it's just, I had a good time with it. And I was a little worried because it opens up, you know, with a little song and dance there and everything else. It's like, oh, boy, this is going to be. You know, not that I have anything against musicals. I like them more than probably most, but it's just, I'm just like, oh man, what kind of film is this going to be? This is going to be really wacky and kind of goofy, and then it turns into something totally different, and then it just keeps changing itself over and over and over again. So, it's a very fluid film and the way it kind of moves around. So, I quite dug it. So, eight out of ten for me. Nice. Um, again, make your big. I could have also went with a number of scenes. I'm going to go with that last scene. You yes. know, the, the ones are great and they're varied and everything else, but the last scene is. It's pretty astounding to see just they lay waste to kind of this tavern and the exteriors and all the different people that are getting in the mix and it really, really great stuff and the length of it is, is really admirable. MVT, I could have went with a lot of things. I could have went with the characters. I loved everyone in this film. Um, I could have went with the fights. I could have went with uh, uh, the, the tone and how it was a little different and offbeat and more kind of nasty and down and dirty and, and kind of insane than, than uh you know, almost any Shaw Brothers film. I'm just going to go with the, the setup itself. Like I said, that was the hook that got me into it, and that's the thing I find most interesting is, you know, a bunch of bandits converge on a tavern to try to outwit and outfight each other as a, a shipment of uh, of uh, jewels uh, or gold comes uh, into the tavern. So, and my score for the film is an 8.5 out of 10. Um, this has absolutely become uh, like a top five favorite kung fu film for me are you on the potty <laughs> and i'm not i'm not talking to sammy <laughs> by why no, yes i am on the potty yes <laughs> i wish we could record from there from the uh commode um but uh but yeah this this man i really really love this film and like i i you know i was tired as hell when it came on and i just was energizing by the end i was just I was smiling, and I, I felt that energy you get when you really dig a film. Yes. Um, I can't recommend this one highly enough to, I think, even people that listen to a show that have a, you know, they, they don't love kung fu films as much as we do. I think there's enough different stuff going on in this one that, that varies from the You Killed My Master on a Revenge kind of vibe that they would definitely get into it. Right, right. It's not a simple, 
you know, like a kidnapped child or kidnapped master or, you know, family revenge type kung fu film. It's a it's just it's just a wacky fucking kung fu film. Hey, hang on, my son. You did it. Sorry, he just peed in the potty. Yay. All right. <laughs> it plays music. So when I, I wait like with bated breath for that uh, <laughs> that, uh, that, that tune to be played. Come here, give me a quick kiss. In about fifteen or sixteen years, you're probably going to be upset at me for announcing you peed in the potty on air. But that's yes. okay. I love you. I love you. We can't watch The Simpsons right now. Daddy's got to finish the show, and I'm not going to let you hijack it like you did last week. <laughs> How many zombies is this? Okay, I'm, okay I got, I'm, I'm going to shut the door, babe. Yeah. Okay. Yes, indeed. Okay, so the did you get, did you give your score? You did, right? Uh, 8.5, man. Oh. Rock, rock solid. Nice, nice. All right, so that is our review of... Uh, Black Tavern, we're going to take a short break and come back and we'll talk about feedback. Talk about feedback. I heard pop music the other day at a restaurant. I was laughing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I always think about our show now when I hear it. <laughs> All right, we'll be back right after this. Hi, this is Chris. And this is Frank. And we are from the Are You Serious podcast and we are here with... Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. I think that's awesome, but I also think that I could do the same thing talking about it's just great to have you here and to be able to talk to you even with all the stuff i've said don't shoot it so i guess just to let people know we we cover movies video games and we talk about politics tv and uh, people who bother us basically we just skewer pop culture in general i got a bad feeling about this i think the show is awesome you should think it's awesome too don't get excited frank can get a little full of himself sometimes i know the Are You Serious Podcast is available on iTunes and at areyouseriouspodcast.com. You know, baby, I know you think we can make it all work out, but I gotta tell it like it is. And I don't want to make this any harder than it needs to be, so don't cry. back getting a little funky this morning there we go yes all right i have uh my wife brought me home some breakfast here and it uh, looks like it's the very unhealthy yet very tasty mcdonald's mcgriddles oh nice so i will be eating those while we're doing feedback apologies sure. in advance <laughs> okay i'll read some emails to let you enjoy that brekkie yes um let me actually add this to our blog um, <laughs> nice. Thinking my son's hustling my wife to buy him a toy for peeing. We've been going broke, man, buying more Thomas trains every time oh, yeah. he's, he's sitting on that thing. Uh, Money well spent. Money well spent. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, the do you want to mention the LMG sale now? I guess we can probably wait or do you want to mention it now? Just so we yeah, don't go, forget. go ahead and mention it now. Let's go ahead. Okay, so good friend Martin, of course, he of OMG-Entertainment.com fame, uh, and you know one of our friends that that you know we covered Living Day through him last week. He is preparing a massive sale 
that's going to start this Friday, which is, uh, I guess, the 8th or something like that. I don't know. I don't have a calendar in front of me. It is the um, 8th because the 9th is my birthday. That's right, man. That's right. Oh, man. I got to remember to... Uh, okay. Oh, don't worry. Facebook will remind you. <laughs> yeah. No, true, true. But uh, good stuff. But no, they're going to have a big, big uh, sale. More than 30 titles on this set are going to have up to 60% off, and some prices are going to start at two ninety nine. So head over there uh, and check out the Bonanza. Mm-hmm. Um, also, another good friend of the show, Giles, uh, has asked us if we can, um, and we'll throw this out on Twitter and Facebook and stuff as the time comes on. Um, keep a look, because keep a lookout because um, there is a fake Grindhouse trailer that may end up on the Hobo with a shotgun DVD release, and it's a British one. Uh, for a film called Daddy Cross. So um, we're going to post that when the time comes, so check it out uh, and uh, vote for it if you can. Nice. Um, I want to thank Greg, uh, who, you know, he doesn't write to us often, but when he does, he comes correct. He sent us a great music video of um, of Janet Agron doing maybe the worst dancing in the history of mankind to a song, I think it's called Teddy Bear or something. I, it's pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah. It looks like it was like a Eurovision type show. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to convert that to MP3 so we can play it on the show one week. Yes. Um, pretty fantastic. So then he writes in an email that says, City of the Living Dead. Uh, hey, gents, I haven't sent in any feedback in a while. Just thought I'd share some thoughts about City of the Living Dead. First off, I really dug your review in the episode. I was lucky enough to catch a print of the film on the big screen a few years back, and it's still a highlight of my theater-going career. I'll never forget the sound of the audience groaning in collective disgust at Fulci's indoor maggot storm. I'm no, oh, so there's a maggot storm out there by the sounds of that, yelling. Uh, I'm no gore hound, but see Living Dead's ceaseless creativity elevates Splatter to the level of high art. I can barely recall the narrative, but I've always thought the premise is so wonderfully stupid. Priest kills himself near a cemetery, therefore somehow opening up the gates to hell. And Sammy, you bring up an interesting point. Just how did the guy manage to get all the way up there? Oh, well, nitpicking Fulci logic is a dangerous path to go down, so I'll leave it at that. Here's hoping you gents someday cover the completely bonkers Cat in the Brain. Adios. Yeah. Greg, did you want to talk about Cat in the Brain for a minute? He might have been listening to the show. I mean, I know we're, I don't know if I'd have said on the show, but we are going to be covering Cat in the Brain at some point. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, we are. Fulci, uh, Fulci, as far as logic, you're correct. You should never... I never I've never ever tried to get into an argument with a Fulci fan about logic because I can't win that one. It's not about logic with Fulci. It's all about um, atmosphere and set pieces. It's always it's always going to be like that with him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, let me see if I can uh, I can squeeze one off here. I think you sure? Yeah, I just threw down a McGriddle. I'm feeling good. Feeling good. You threw one down quick, fast, man. Well, I've been eating it since we came back on, so you've been talking nice. most of the time. So, but yeah, I don't know, four or five minutes per McGriddle. That's not bad. Oh, that's yeah, that's pretty fair. <laughs> all right, let's see here. Uh, we only got one other email, right? Yes. Oh, from Jeff. All right, so here we go. He uh, saw a film that we covered a while back, so interesting. Uh, okay, he says uh, this one's called The Joys of Rape and Mexican Food. <laughs> ahoy, 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 gentlemen. I just wanted to drop you fellas a line in relation to the Infernal Rapist. I know I was mentioning to Rick on Twitter, uh, and you can follow Jeff at PDX Creep on Twitter, uh, about the flick, and I just wanted to share a top ten type thing of humor I took from it and a little story. I was watching this in privacy of my office the other night with a pair of headphones and so as to not bother anyone else in the house. My lady comes in and asks what I'm watching. At this point, nothing exciting is, has happened apart from the devil appearing in the jail and doing the fancy Tron laser as. <laughs> she says, what in the hell are you watching? 
I think nothing of it and gleefully proclaim the infernal rapist. She rolls her eyes at me and quicker than I could explain the plot or what the hell is going on, she beelines for the door and is out of sight before I could take my headphones off. <laughs> now then, now then, on to the main reason. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking like that. Now then, on to the main reason I emailed you guys. Here's the top ten things I learned from the Infernal Rapist. In no particular order, other than to make it easier for Will to read it on the air. Aha. Fooled you, Jeff. I'm reading it. Uh, number one, Charles Bronson has an evil twin, and he just happens to be a Latino. <laughs> Number two, all the women in Mexico are raised on whole milk. <laughs> yes. Number three, snorting coke and smoking weed somehow gives you superpowers. <laughs> Number four, when you have a meeting with the other police officers, you always bring your weapons and sirens. <laughs> Number five, rat tails will always get you laid. Yes. Uh, you think I met my wife. <laughs> yes. Number six, even in zero-budget movies, you should use fake blood instead of cake frosting when carving 666 on somebody's body. I mean... <laughs> It just looks more convincing that way. <laughs> Number seven, when you have no budget, you save all your money for the big finale. Number eight, for your first time for your first time filmmakers out there, please remember when you layer two separate pieces of film, make sure they match up. Otherwise, we get cross-eyed Latino guys. Oh, the laser eyes. That's <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. uh, number nine, nummies, dummies being thrown from rooftops are always in style. And number ten, as an EMT, I always wear a bike helmet. And when I'm taking away a body from the crime scene... Or when, or when I'm taking a body away from the crime machine for protection, of course. That's all I got this week, fellas. Hopefully those those jokes didn't fall as flat as the movie did. Ooh. <laughs> Hiding so in the he, trees he and pulling. Like I don't, like I don't know. That's, that's, that sounds like you didn't like it, but who knows? Maybe maybe you loved it. No. I don't think the movie's flat. The movie's definitely bizarre, but not flat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. Uh, I have to clear that up. All right. <laughs> so the Infernal Rapist. It's funny when, I, when somebody contacts about a movie we covered in the past, I'm always... I forget sometimes some of the stuff we've covered. And he brought that up, and I was like, wow, that was a crazy review. <laughs> oh, that was, man. Loaf coming correct with the hot Mexican trash, as usual. Yes. All right, so we got a few voicemails we're going to try to knock out. <clears throat> we're under a time crunch this morning, uh, which is nothing new for those of you who've been listening to the show for a while. So let's get them going here. we got one from James. Hey, gents. Uh, what's going on? Um, it's James from Criterion Cast. Um, I actually just listened to the... Bugsy Malone uh, episode. Fantastic movie because it's such a weird, it's a weird film. I remember watching that video with my brother all the time as a kid, and then his friend actually bought him a new um, videotape a few years ago, and we just couldn't stop, you know, walking around going like, so you want to be a gangster? And it's, it's ridiculous. But it makes me happy if something like that could be made and kind of throws in the old um, highway to hell. Like, how the hell did that movie get made? But sometimes we get these weird occurrences in film history that you have to question why, but at the same time be grateful because they're enjoyable. And like, like Roop and all you guys said, Paul Williams... Fantastic. I'm a huge fan, huge fan of Phantom of the Paradise. Like, I love it more than than uh, Rocky Horror, to be honest with you. I like Rocky Horror, like, a lot. But Phantom of the Paradise hits me more. It's a more oh, emotional yeah. story. Yeah. And the music, I think, is better. It's just a more rockin' rock opera, you know? Um, it's actually a film I'm going to be writing about soon. I'll just throw that out there. Um, but yeah, um, just 
want to shoot that out there. Also, uh, what do you call it? Uh, wow, my brain just went dead. Um, yeah, so thanks for, you know, the, the feedback toward, towards me. Um, actually, I'm going to throw out there, I, I mean, I'm not sure when you're going to play the other voicemail, the one I did earlier about uh, the really horrific story about the Bushwhackers. Any other wrestlers you would ever be interested in hearing a horrible, horrible story about, I can, I probably have a story about them. So let me know, and I, I could uh, horrify you more with some uh, ex- escapades, sex sexapades, disgusting capades of these uh, wrestlers <laughs> that we grew up loving. Okay, I will talk to you guys later. Peace. Nice. I think we said on the show that we both... Uh, do we both like Final of the Paradise more than oh, Rocky Horror? Absolutely, man. I, I know you do, and I don't know. I certainly do. I, I do quite enjoy Rocky Horror, but yeah. I mean, it's no contest. Yeah, yeah, no contest. You're right. I think that comes from the talent of the filmmakers attached to them. Yeah. Rocky Horror is definitely a cult film, but I don't think it's a well-made film. But hey, Final of the Paradise, on the other hand, is a cult film and a well-made film. Yes. Is right, anything else you want to add to that one? I don't know. Uh, any wrestlers, we're, we're fine with any of them. And James actually sending. He's, I still have voicemails from James <laughs> that I we probably won't get to today, but uh, we still have some more so to get to. So I think he's another wrestling story in there. Yeah, there's the one I think Martel and yeah, he. I know there's a couple of things still in the mix for uh, for us from him. Mm-hmm. All right, next voicemail. Here we go. Hey, gentlemen, this is Deb from Girls on Film Radio. I just finished listening to the. Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park episode. I absolutely loved it. Um, When I was a little kid, my oldest brother was really into Kiss. He just loved them, although I would say thankfully he never did the dressing up in makeup or, you know, dragon's head high heels or anything like that. Thank God for small favors. But, um, (laughs) yeah, I was exposed to more kids than probably any six-year-old little girl ever should be, much to my mother's great consternation. But, yes, I, um, Gene Simmons also scared the absolute holy crap out of me when I was little, and my brother took great delight in um, making sure I could see him as often as possible. Like, um, I did get to watch... Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park with my brother um, many, many times, and um, I'll never forget the one time he, um, I was in my room coloring or, you know, whatever in the hell little girls do, and he started yelling at me, he's like, Dad, come in here, quick, quick, it's Strawberry Shortcake's on TV, so I run in there (laughs) in the living room just in time to see Gene Simmons spitting up blood, turns out my brother was actually watching a Kiss concert. And, uh, yeah, just like you were saying, um, nightmares, nightmares for weeks, and my mother was not happy, but um, I, I have a great deal of affection for that movie, yes. I remember the scene where they're sitting by the pool in chain mail and black capes, and it's just it's so awful, and the kiss foo. I mean, even for a movie that was supposed to be cheesy and bad and just a good time, that was awful, just awful. Um, my brother seems to have grown out of his kiss phase. Um, I think of Gene Simmons' uh, reality TV show kind of killed the last little remainder of his uh, adolescent kiss love. So, but anyway, awesome analysis of that movie. It was spot on. All right, talk to you guys later. Bye. All right, Daddy, I got Thomas. 
<laughs> As always. Yes. Thomas. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Sorry about that, Deb. That's awesome. I love hearing stories like that about, you know, how, you know, she was six and she got exposed to far more kiss than <laughs> NHL. You know, having an older sibling, you know, typically yeah. you hear that sort of stuff happen. Yeah, I was around... Uh, I had friends that were older. Well, I didn't have friends that were my friend, best friend. He had older cousins, and his older cousins would come to visit, and they would uh, they they throw kiss on us and stuff like that, stuff that we weren't supposed to be watching or listening to, supposedly. I saw Kiss Me's the Phantom Park on uh, recorded videotape. First time I saw it. it was early days of VCRs. So when we watched it for the show, I wasn't too surprised of the uh, the quality of the film because that's pretty much the quality I always saw it at. So oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Interesting stuff, and also uh, William and I, and, and Miles and Roop and and Alex, all of us, we we all sit around the pool like that. As a matter we of fact, <laughs> we keep all of our capes in the in the pool house. <laughs> well, we you know we don't say it's bikini season; we say it's chainmail tunic season. So. Exactly, it gets a little hot, but uh, you know we're slaves to fashion. <laughs> yeah, we look cool. That's all that matters. <laughs> exactly. All right, next voicemail. Here we go. Hey, Big Will and the Samurai, it is I, Tom DJ, calling you straight out of Brooklyn from Better in the Dark Studios. I just listened to The Kissing Zone. Now, I was never a member of the Kiss Army. I, I really never cared for Kiss. Still don't, now that they're just basically a giant money pit that they urge their fans to jump into. But it was fascinating hearing your review of The, the Phantom of the Park, but... That's not why I re- responded. I'm responding, of course, because you made a comment about a, a film called License to Kill. And I had to defend it a little bit. Now, I'm not going to say, say right up front, I don't think this is a good film at all. It is definitely probably one of the lesser Bonds, but it's, it's not the worst Bond film ever made. The biggest problem with that film is that it was a, uh, a film that was designed to be as unbond-like a Bond film as any other. It was designed to be a basically an American, um, an American action film, yes. and all the like everything from the villains who were you know drug runners to the uh, the stunts and everything was designed. I mean, you could take James Bond and then put in you know Shecky Moskowitz, and it would still be the same film. In fact, it probably would pay to see Shecky Moskowitz, the spy. But it's. It's not the worst Bond film ever made. You haven't seen, and I challenge you to see the the first, not the the uh, not the Daniel Craig version, but the David Niven version of Casino Royale. Now that was a, a much infinitely worse Bond, and that's okay. You might say that's just out of canon. That doesn't count. How about Die Another Day? One of the most absolutely worst Bond films ever. This kind of self-satisfied, stupid movie, which is all so CGI-rific, directed by everybody's favorite transvestite, Lee Tamahori. And is just so dull-witted. It's unfun. And of course, on top of that, we have to deal with the fact that, you know, Holly franchise killer Barry, who by the way has killed two franchises in her history with her whining and obnoxiousness. I guarantee you that she would, she had written her uh, contract when she signed on to play Jinx that she had to have as many action sequences as Bond. And it features, of course, I mean, it's just, it's just hideously written. It's written by uh, Purvis and Wade who wrote the last couple of Bond films. They are not very good writers. I, I think that 
the only reason um, that the first Casino Royale actually worked out as well as it did was, be, you know, the whole infinite number of monkeys theory. So, yeah, I, I well, I, I'm with you. License to Kill was not a very good film, and contrary to popular belief, it did not destroy Timothy Dalton's career as James Bond because they were already planning a third Bond film called Property of a Lady when, the, when MGM sued um, Eon Productions for the rights to the James Bond franchise, and it ultimately won five years later. Oh, and that's why there was that big gap in the 90s. So it, by the time... Everything was resolved. They went back to Timothy Dalton. He had already gotten his life together. He had other options, and he felt he was too old to play the character. So that's it. There would so don't give me this guff, you people, about oh, Timothy Dalton was such a terrible bond they had to fire him. He was not fired, but no, it's 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 a bad film. I'm not going to try to defend it as a good film. It's a bad film. It features one of the worst Bond women ever in Carrie Lowell's character. It's it's just it's just really really but it's not nowhere near as bad as Die Another Day or <laughs> well oh my God or you know Quantum of Boredom I mean Solace or <laughs> you know uh, from A View to a Kill so so please don't don't, don't oh, come on A View to Kill is awesome believe that <laughs> bandwagon yeah, Grace okay? Jones and Christopher Walken in it I will talk to you guys later <laughs> later later all right uh, I can see where you come from I like Dalton as Bond I think I said that but. I just think the film's kind of a mess, but okay, agreeable. You got twenty-something films in the franchise. I got you know, it probably isn't the worst film. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But Halle Berry is a franchise killer because she killed she killed some of James Bond. But what else did she kill? What other franchise was Cat she? Catwoman. You know, oh, I guess What else did she kill? Uh, uh, maybe there's something else in there, but yeah, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. The Flintstones, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. No. What did she play? The secretary of uh, of, uh, bed, uh, of uh, uh, yeah. Slate Industries or yeah. whatever it was. So, yes, I think so. <laughs> yes. Uh, as always, she looked great, but the acting wasn't good. Yeah, you know, I I gotta say, man, I've always wow. Thanks, I appreciate that more than you know, okay. man. It's gonna be I loud in you. here for a sec. Man, give me a kiss. The terrible twos. <laughs> the terrible twos. That's right. It's it's such a vicious cycle because I try to keep him calm yeah. and quiet by like showing like uh, bringing up like Thomas toys and stuff for him to look at while my show. But it ends up him saying Thomas, Thomas. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, he's at that age where just talking is his main his main goal. Yeah. You know, they all go through that, man. They all, I'm, that, I'm, I'm looking forward to talk, it. <laughs> talking and me having cold coffee and not sitting down are his main goals. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, eating, no, no nothing, no. all those simple eating, things you used to enjoy. That, that eating all, that with all one out. hand, you <laughs> yeah. know, that's par for the course. Yeah, that all goes out the window, brother. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, Tom, I mean, I... I I mean, he's a bigger Bond fan than we are, actually. So, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I know you're not a huge Bond fan. I'm a no. semi. I'm a, I like the Bond films. I don't love them. I'm not a. Yeah. I'm not a diehard. But uh, yeah, the that die another day. I didn't even watch it. I heard it was so bad. I never even got around to it. And Quantum of Solace was pretty awful, uh, which is a it was shame. Just a parody of a film. Yeah, it, which is a shame because I mean, I think Mark Forster's a good director and Daniel Craig's fine. And I thought the idea was good, but it just seemed. I don't know, man. It seemed like somebody, somebody lost the somebody lost everything making that movie so anyway uh, i did like casino real obviously and i know you did too, Me too. So. yeah absolutely so some good stuff in there all right uh next voice here we go 
Hey gents, it's Uncool Cat here, calling from downtown Toronto. Um, the noises in the background. Did you hear that I turned on a couple of your good listeners to Ninth Configuration, a great film that everyone should watch at least uh, 10, maybe 15 times. And uh, also very excited to hear you're talking about uh, Gates of Hell, or City of the Living Dead, or whatever you want to call it this week. Um, one, of, one of my favorite Fulci films, I, I know... I know Will has problems with it, um, about sound effects and stuff like that, um, but I, I really, really, really like the atmosphere um, Fulci <laughs> creates. I think it's uh, oh, man. <laughs> really second to none. Um, like, I remember watching his films when I was growing up and always hearing he's a trash meister and seeing zero stars in every video book, um, video reference book out there in regards to zombie and stuff. But watching it on the Pan and Scan VHS, it was like just a movie of close-ups it wasn't until the dvds and anchor bay and elite and stuff started putting out the widescreen copies that uh you really saw that fulci was in fact a master <laughs> the hell? um uh sorry um i gotta get this uh no not not right now um i'm doing something for that podcast i talked about um yeah all right say hi to the missus <laughs> Sorry about that, uh, nosy neighbor. Anyway, um, hope all is going well, and uh, look forward to your review, and uh, talk to you later. <laughs> all right, there we go. <laughs> nice. That was uh, Uncle Cat Chris there. and They had a lot of nice atmosphere, that voicemail. <laughs> Apparently he left Toronto to move to Dunwich. <laughs> You know, I got to tell you, Sammy, uh, before we went to see Hobo with a Shotgun, I took him to Smoke's Poutinery. Oh, yeah. And I was telling him how you went there, man. You got to try the Hogtown special when you get down here again for that oh, one, nice. Man. Yeah. yeah. I think next time I'm up there, man, I'm going to have poutine more than once. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, was, it was quite a, a nice experience. It's funny, man. It's just like everybody else. I came back to the States, you know, and I showed everybody pictures of the poutine I took. Yeah, put- poutine. <laughs> oh, hey, now. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> Hope my wife didn't hear that. Anyway, uh, I took pictures of the poutine that we ate, and everybody's like, "Oh, that looks disgusting." I'm like, hey, "Trust me, guys, it's it's awesome." And they're like, yeah. "Oh, you know," because they're just not used to seeing it, you know. Oh man. Or maybe the poutine. <laughs> if it looks anything like that, you got problems, and it's not going to taste very good. I can assure you. If I can be crass for a moment. Well, you know, some of those cougars, it does look like roast beef down there. It anyway. certainly does, man. <laughs> oh. Talking mid-thigh uh, drapery, man. I'm going to open. I'm going to come back up there, man. Go to Montreal. I'm open me up a little eatery called Smoke's Poontine. <laughs> and you can just call me Smoke. Yeah, exactly, right. man. <laughs> Thanks for the voice book, Chris. I totally didn't expect the uh, the atmosphere. Yes. <laughs> and your neighbor. Sounds like a cool guy, man. He does. A little loud, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, a little loud. Okay. Loincloth is awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, next voice, man. Here we go. Susie. Murdered by Dr. Doom. Ben, my darling, what is it? What's wrong? Alicia, baby, you don't want to know, but I got me some business to take care of and fast. Turn around, Doom. I want you to see what's going to happen to you for what you did to Susie. (laughs) Okay. I think we know who that was. (laughs) Yeah. I think we know who that was, so... That was a quick one. Thank you for that, Braz. Huh? Yes. <laughs> Dr. Doom. All right, uh, next voice. Well, we got a couple more here, so we'll be done here shortly. All right, John, this is Brian. So I'm uh, watching this year a crime film uh, called Redneck. Uh, it's got uh, good old Franco Nero and Telly Wallace. It's, uh, it's 
started off as this old, um, you know, heist gone wrong. Um, Nero's character is called Mosquito. Uh, Telus Vallis is uh, called Memphis. And they basically uh, jewel heist, and they, they accidentally, uh, they steal a car, and they end up kidnapping this this young guy, and then, you know, they, they end up separating. But uh, there's this just been this really crazy scene mm. where um, Franco Nero is totally buck naked. What? And, uh, <laughs> The, the the boy, he's probably around about 12 years old, is uh, what? sort of sitting there watching him uh, shave uh-huh. <laughs> and saying, what are you doing? He says, oh, well, I have to shave at least twice a day, especially when I'm working. Um, and he, he then he, he gets dressed and he goes off to, to steal some uh, earrings. And then the little boy uh, starts stripping naked down to his, his uh, little tidy whities. <laughs> And then he takes off his tidy whities, and then he he looks down at his uh, his manhood as if to compare uh, his manhood to what he had just seen Nero's. Yes. Um, but then he gets disturbed by Telly Savalas, who has been watching him through the window, who then smashes through the window and then begins to chase him around the house. So uh, it is it has really taken uh, a bit of a twist here. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I was just wondering if any of you, either of you, have seen this one, uh, and I will continue to watch it and see if it takes another twist. <laughs> uh, I have not seen Redneck. Um, I have not. It sounds pretty amazing. Uh, I don't know. It sounds bizarre. It's one of those films, you know, in our more modern time where uh, you know pedoph- pedophilia or pedoph- pedophiles, as the English say, are caught you know more often now than they used to be. Uh, I'm sure that something as innocent as a dad shaving nude in front of his son does seem odd now. Uh, I don't really think there's, you know, you know I saw my, I don't, we can we can talk about this. I saw my dad nude quite often when I was a kid. Not a big deal. Was it a big deal for you? Did you see your dad nude? Uh, yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. And I used to shave, you know, those brushes they used to have. Yeah. Um, you'd use like with your shaving cream and stuff. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so yeah, no, no it's, I, I, I don't. I don't shave in the nude all the time, but. Sometimes I'll be getting in the shower and I'm already ready to get in the shower and I'm like, "Fuck, I gotta shave." I forgot. I gotta, and I don't like to shave in the shower because I always end up cutting myself. So because I can't yeah, see, my I f- don't shave in the shower. I'll end up missing too many spots. So I'll you know get the shaving cream out, and I, I don't use an electric razor. I can't stand electric razors. They make my face break no. up. No. So I'll get the razor out and the shaving cream, and I'll shave nude. It's not a big deal. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very careful. <laughs> so. It's not a big deal, but I can see that. And, you know, th- that's something that I think kids do. You know, they they see their parents, you know, and and things like that. And as long as I don't think they see their parents, you know, getting feisty at uh, smokes poon teenery, I think uh, yeah. everything's okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, ha- I haven't seen that film though. I know of it because of the title Redneck, but I haven't ever seen the film. So yeah, I, I have not either. It's one I've had for a while. I remember reading about it and trying to track down. Because it had Savalas and uh, Nero, and it was a bit more American than a lot of them. Sam um, <laughs> so came back in there with Doctor Doom again. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Let's check it out. Sounds like Telly Savalas plays a real sleaze bag in it. Yeah, he, which he's good at. Oh, he's he's aces. One of the best at it. All right, we got one more. Will we'll knock this one out and then we'll call it a day. Okay. Hello, the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Mike here. Uh, it's been a while. I've been catching up on some of your shows, and I just wanted to throw you a few thoughts, most of which aren't actually about the 
batshit crazy films that you watch, most of which I've never seen, half of which I'm pretty damn sure that you actually make up. <laughs> you were talking about good smokers. You mentioned uh, John Travolta. I would have to agree with that. A couple more I just wanted to throw out there that I've always thought, uh, being a smoker myself, still, uh, and in the words of Bill Hicks, by the way, they still taste fucking great, everyone is gold. One that springs to my mind is Nicolas Cage in Wild at Heart. He has a penchant at points in films when particularly dramatic things happen. I think, for, the, for example, in the moment where Laura Dern tells him that she's pregnant, she's too scared to even say it out loud, so she just writes on a bit of paper for him, and he lights two cigarettes at once. And I think that one of the big things about smokers about good smoking in films is looking really nailing that look of satisfaction that you get from it and i think for cage does that so well i don't know whether he's really a smoker some of his recent filmic decisions imply that it's not just tobacco that the guy smokes yeah he really looks like he's, he's enjoying it uh, <laughs> another one that springs to mind as well is tony lung in in the mood for love as well oh, he yes. is a tremendous smoker uh, yes. bad smokers you, you mentioned that you can tell when somebody doesn't smoke keanu reeves in constantine is uh, not only unbelievable as a human being but he's also unbelievable as a smoker speaking of which you guys what was with all the morbid death talk in i think your last but one episode uh, you guys were giving it i mean it was a sweet moment don't get me wrong but you were talking about how if you know something terrible happened to one to carry on and you know i'm i'm not a parent so i i can't relate and i appreciate that maybe being a parent makes you look at your mortality differently but it um does. It does, seriously it? guys who you i'm sure that um as we say in the uh, the british film podcasting community you strike me as a couple of able-bodied fuck machines so i don't think that you guys are going to be going anywhere anytime soon so do not worry kiss mr phantom I, I was a big kiss fan back in the day i've got a photograph of myself when i was about 11 in full kiss regalia nice but the one thing and, and i i know this film i've seen this film uh one thing i'm surprised you didn't mention or if you did i apologize maybe i just missed that bit was when you were talking about the laser effects the sound effects were quintessential late 70s early 80s Hanna barbera sound uh, i'm not going to try and do an impression of it but i think i know what you talking about uh, also when I, I finished listening to it all i wanted to do was to try and find a photograph of paul stanley's ears because you're right the guy always always is co always covering his ears and i want to see that shit because i'm kind of a, a morbid person bugsy malone great coverage covered that on uh, my show a while back as well and you made a lot of good points i think you guys were a little bit more critical of it particularly the music and you seemed a lot more bothered by the adult voice on it nice one dodging the the the, the pedo bullet on that because i know that there's been a lot of talk about how appropriate is it to have young children particularly young girls dolled in makeup yeah. uh, i mean there was a, there was a tv show in the uk in the 80s i believe called kids pop which is always now seen as being a little bit sinister it had children dressing up and miming along to modern pop songs and i think a lot of people get a vibe from that but as as paul said when uh we covered bugsy malone if you think that there's some paedophilic undercurrent to bugsy malone then look no further you sir are the paedophile and <laughs> yes i'm with emily uh life force is a piece of crap it's dull as shit and it really takes itself away too seriously i've gone over three minutes so i'm gonna go now keep up the good work party hard <laughs> mike man he crammed it in there didn't he he certainly did a lot of stuff he talked about how could i forget tony lung man what a what a smoker he is man he's you know a, a favorite of mine i'm sure you quite dig him too oh yes i oh, guess um you and mike both uh 
I'd like to hear you guys do a bonus show just for the In the Mood of Love because yeah, he loves that film too. So. Oh, yeah, I really love it, man. So, so yeah, we should, may, Mike, let's maybe powwow, man, try to get something uh, together. I know we're going to cover Chung King at some point because um, it is my favorite Wong Kar Wai, but yes. uh, yeah, but there you go. I'm sure some people think we should do Happy Together, which is the, <laughs> you and I should do that, which is, of course, the homosexual love story yes. <laughs> that he did. But, yes, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not in the cards to people. Sorry. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll go over a couple things. I was making notes of his voicemail while he's making uh first of all uh i miss smoking uh i'm Me not too. gonna lie and i know yeah i know a large william misses it too uh uh i know it's not politically correct to say such a thing but fuck it i enjoyed it at the time and that's the way it goes and i see yeah. people do it nowadays and i'm like you dirty bastards yeah <laughs> uh, you know uh braver than me or you know dumber than me it doesn't matter i do i do miss it uh smokers in film he's done a couple i don't know if we mentioned anthony wong or uh, uh, I don't know if I mentioned De Niro. I probably mentioned De Niro, but uh, you know you can definitely tell he's a smoker in films and stuff. And Milian, yeah, Pacino smokes well. There's just some you know you can totally tell. Don't I don't know if Nicolas Cage actually smokes or not. He might have at one point, but I don't know if he does anymore. He uh, mentions Keanu. Keanu's like up like loves smoking. He's like a passionate smoker. I think. Yeah, and that's the weird thing. It's like he 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 smokes terrible in films, but he's yeah. actually you know he's a hardcore smoker. You know, so it's pretty amazing. And of course. Uh, Jack Nicholson smokes great, uh, and he is a very passionate smoker in real life too. Yes, uh, he's uh, he's actually. It seems like Jack Nicholson does everything that he's not supposed to do at his age. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Uh, totally. And the other his thing, heart, his heart defies all science and logic. Yeah. <laughs> Same way with his forehead and his uh, yes. smile. <laughs> uh, kids in makeup. Yeah, we've dodged the pedophile bullet because I don't. I don't even, as Mike said there, and he said, Paul said, if you see that kind of stuff, then maybe you should look no further than yourself because I really don't. I think kids playing dress up is totally normal. Yeah, I, I do too. I think when you get into the um, the pageant for little girls, oh, that yeah. becomes creepy to me. Yeah, it gets a little dark. Really, the darkest stuff about that stuff always has been the parents to me. It just gets really, really yeah. weird, really, really quick. But uh, again, you know, whenever I see a kid in makeup and a dress, I don't think. You know the awful things. I just think, oh, it's cute. Kid wants to play dress up, like be like mom or be like a, a movie star. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's just me. You no, know? I agree with you totally, man. I never got that vibe from Bugsy Malone. I know people no. get that vibe from the Brooke Shields early film, Pretty Baby, but that's because there's actually, you know, prostitution in there, and I believe she's somehow involved in. It. I can't remember, but uh, anyway, I mean, you can go darker than Bugsy Malone. Bugsy Malone's. Certainly not dark. We could have hit. We could have hit those angles because the the Bukaki cream pie guns could have. We didn't mention those. But anyway, that is the uh, feedback, and that is the big show. Yes, that is. So let's get into our uh, pleasantries. Program for Japan is still going on. Where if you donate fifty dollars or more to a reputable charity for Japan relief, you can program an episode of the GGTMC and even be on it if scheduling permits. Um, check out our sister shows, Show Show, OTC. Uh, I know OTC is going to be on maybe a little bit of a hiatus here soon. They're coming down the pipes for uh, Bill and Mel to have uh, their glorious baby. Yeah, that's literally coming down the pipe. Um, yeah. Actually, uh, they're still going to put some stuff out because they're recording stuff ahead of time. Uh, but, yes, uh, yes. As yeah. always, Bill you know, prepares and makes sure people can, can still get their fix. Yes. Uh, which is good. Uh, check out all of our friends over at Palaver, you know, Girls on Film, Family Movie Night. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on. You know, so many dear friends over there. You know, for those that listen to our show and we don't mention you, uh, we do that collective thing. We're very sorry. We do love you. It's just, you know, we got so, like, a page full of things <laughs> yes. here we're trying to cram in for people. Yes. Um, 
you know, uh, Paleo Cinema, Action Attraction, Better in the Dark, Hammockus, of course, with a good friend Brian. I'd listened to the Shatter episode you did. It was great. Um, <laughs> did you like I the love Chris- the accent. Yeah, do you love the Christopher Lee? <laughs> a Latin, Latin uh, oh. with a British accent by way of Kentucky. It was well done. It was, that was great. Uh, the laughter. You can hear us chuckling because we neither one of us know what the fuck we're doing at that point. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it was great, man. It was great. Uh, Married with Clickers, Criterion Cast, a podcast about honor and humanity, projection booth.com, V Cinema, uh, mm-hmm. and then of course, blog, uh, paracinema.net, our favorite uh, couple in the MYC, putting out the magazine for discerning genre fans, um, Nightmare Theater.blip.tv, uh, and of course, our blog, the ggtmc.blogspot.com, uh, cinemasatori.wordpress.com. Then, of course, these are all, as far as I know, .blogspot.com. Playground of Doom. Sorry, I haven't mentioned it, Dusty. Anyone else I've forgotten along the way? I just forget. It's not personal. If you want me to add you to the blog roll, you're a friend of ours, let me know, please. Um, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, uh, Deadly Doll's House, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, The Lightning Bugs Lair, Fist of B-List, uh, Scourge Liftless and Shasta, Moon in the Gutter, Chimp Talk, and uh, beyond that, we have our vendor, Diabolic DVD, uh, who we're going to be covering something from in two weeks. It was going to be this upcoming week, but you'll hear why not in a moment. Check out CDB, that's cinema-de-bizarre, all your hard-to-find genre needs over there. Promo code GENTLEMEN for 10% off your orders. OMG-entertainment.com. Martin's got that uh, Bonanza sale going on, 60% off. Uh, $2.99 for some titles. Uh, Martin, we apologize in advance if we've somehow lost something in the translation with yes. the prices you're offering. Yes. Uh, GGTMC10 is 10% off your orders there. Camera Obscura, that's camera with a C. Obscura, uh, that's who, of course, put out today's film, So Sweet, So Dead. And uh, if anyone finds, again, Black Tavern uh, from an online vendor, please let us know. There's also iTunes, Facebook, Twitter.com, which is uh, backslash GGTMC, Large William, Pickle of 10, Uncool Cat, and The Mighty mighty Bob Freelander yes. uh, and of course the donate button uh, is on our site other than that we were going to be covering something next week which is going to wait a week um, you have some things you have to attend to so unfortunately we're going to be sans Sammy tomorrow uh, uh, next tomorrow. Week. that's <laughs> next week yes. um, so we're going to be doing something potentially with the uncool cat nice. um, that we'd talked about so I don't know if you want to just touch on that or anything in- no I just, I just let everybody know that uh, you know I'm on baby duty next week and there's really just no sound way to do the show without you know being interrupted uh, as, as you guys know I mean he's then you know nine months old and uh, full of fire so uh, yeah and he's, you know, still, you know, going through some things, you know, so growing pains. So some days are better than others. Oh yeah. But uh, the main thing is, again, can't do the show with him. He's a piece. He's got those paws going 100 miles an hour and deceptively strong as they they get really quickly. Just ask my right. lip, which has many cuts in it from him grabbing my face. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's like yeah, Braden. I said the same thing. Man, he busted my wife's glasses. Oh yeah, and my, uh, mine takes my glasses off all the time. I mean, he yeah. gets them before I even have a chance, man. Yeah, he's good, man. He's, they, 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 my, I get a finger up my nose, and he's <laughs> yeah. gripping. He's got kung fu grip. But oh, my favorite part is, and this is a, this is definitely a parent thing. My favorite part is, is when he spits up, and I don't know it. And he's got it in his hand, and he sticks it in my mouth. Oh yeah, that's yeah. that's that's a pleasant experience that I I implore everybody to enjoy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yummy. Oh, for sure. It's, uh, yeah, it's a handful, man. But you, uh, you know, it'll be a week off, and I'll be back the following week, so it'll be okay. Yes, so in saying that, and this is, of course, pending. It's too early for me to call Chris and approve uh, you know, his scheduling with ours next week. So um, I'm going to tentatively say this is what we're covering next week. If we don't cover these two films next week, one time when Chris is on, we will cover them. Um, we're 
tentatively going to be covering uh, Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, which I think is one of the greatest films ever made. I'll come out and say it. And uh, a little film that is an African-made heist slash voodoo film from a couple of years ago that I believe Evocative Films, based out of Montreal, put out. Uh, and that is called Black. So uh, it'll be very interesting uh, <clears throat> if we can swing that. Looking forward to that show, if it happens. Hopefully it will. Yes. Would have been nice to you know have you on, but uh, you know we'll be able to talk about it off the air, certainly. And I can tell everybody ahead of time that I also like Mishima quite a bit. Never seen Black, but uh, I do like Mishima quite a bit. Like 8.5 yes. and above territory. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, definitely. For me. It's, it's, so. it's sad it's not Blu-ray yet. Yes. I'm sure it will be soon, though. Yeah, it seems it like it's tailor-made yes. for Blu-ray. <laughs> exactly. All right, so that is everything. Well, I know you got to go. I'm going to play the outro, and I will talk to you later. Does that sound good? That sounds marvelous. You have a great day, my friend, and to everyone else, adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207 and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com 